Taking off in five, four, three, two. Yo, 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 it's your boy T.O. as you know. It's your boy O-Rain, real name, no games, no gimmicks. Yo, it's the motherfucking Fade Podcast, the one-stop shop for everything TV, medium, film related, along with any other goddamn thing we want to talk about, coming to you live, direct, uh, quarantine land, uh, I say this every week, and uh, honestly, it's uh, the joke's old, so <laughs> I'll save us I all. I mean, it- <laughs> The, uh, the there's there's much more than quarantine going on right now with yeah. um you know all the different protests in all the cities across the country uh so whenever you listen to this if you listen to this if you're out there protesting be safe be smart um you know i'm most certainly on the side of the protesters i feel like this uh, uh at a certain point is necessary you know what i mean like when you're when you're not being heard yeah. at a certain point you have to force the conversation yeah um so yeah again if you're out there if you're out there protesting um you know be safe be smart rest in peace george floyd and um you know my condolences to his family of course yeah i did know that uh we're we're gonna do a, a story later on that actually has to do with that and which we'll talk a little more in depth about the you know the whole situation um but uh so yeah i'll save what i gotta say for that uh for that particular segment in order to, to keep things pushing so yeah uh with that being said uh let's just jump into our shit here um so we are going to talk about um some of the things that are actually coming out uh this week on, on streaming uh services so first up we have uh, hbo uh, slash hbo max uh which ha- have you gotten uh hbo max by the way I have not. Like, is there like a free trial or something like that that I can sign up for and cancel <laughs> in like seven days? Well, the question is, why would you want to? You know, because it's not like there's any new content on it, you know, right now. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. it's all just kind of recycled content. So it's like, why would I sign up right now? There's no incentive to. I've already seen basically everything I want to see from Warner Brothers or, you know, uh, HBO. So. No, nah, yeah, I'm going to wait until they drop some like new dope shit. And uh, hopefully it's like they gave you like a 30 day free trial. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, If they were wise, they wouldn't. They'd give you like a two day free trial. So you can't binge anything that you want to binge. Yeah, it's definitely going to be like a short time frame, (laughs) like five days. They'll probably give you like just an hourly thing. Like you get seven hours. Look at whatever you want to look at. And it's over. And then, yeah, <laughs> on that sixth hour, fifty nine <laughs> minutes and fifty nine seconds, they're they're already starting to bill you. <laughs> Prorated. Uh, so, um, so yeah, uh, on HBO, uh, we've got um, we are here uh, season finale uh, for the first season. Uh, then we have y- uh, Yvonne uh, Orgy, uh, Orgy. I believe that's her name. Her last name is spelled. My apologies if it's not. Uh, Mama, I made it, uh, which is a comedy special uh, that she she put out. Um, then we have Inside uh, Cabernero, uh, season one. Uh, I, I guess that's either the actual season or, yeah, I just suppose that's the season. Uh, then we have Betty, uh, which is the season finale uh, of that. Uh, and then in a throwback, we have on HBO uh, at Astra, which uh, which I highly recommend. I thought I, th- I thought it was a pretty good film. It it's a little different than I think what you would expect from kind of a space film, you know. But uh, uh, but yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, no, yeah. yeah. At Astra was dope. I loved that movie. That was great. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, at Astra kind of it, it it hit all the notes as far as being 
uh, a movie that's that's at very minimum just worth seeing, if not you know worth uh, seeing again. So uh, so yeah, so I threw that in there. Um, uh, on Hulu, we have uh, we are uh, freestyle Love Supreme, which is a documentary uh, premiering on uh, Hulu. Then on Amazon Prime, we have uh, Gina Brillion. Uh, the Floor is Lava, which is, uh, of course, uh, uh, Amazon original special. I believe that is a, uh, a, a, a comedy special, I assume. I mean, that sounds like a comedy special, right? Like The Floor is Lava. It sounds like, like by the title, yeah. yeah. You wouldn't say that about like some like real in-depth, like, you know, deep dive into like... <laughs> Yeah, it's not based on a true story. <laughs> yeah. We know. Uh, on, on Netflix, <laughs> uh, we have uh, Fuller House, uh, The Farewell Season, uh, True Rainbow Rescue. Um, then we have uh, Spelling the Dream, which is a documentary. Then we have uh, Baki, I believe it's pronounced, uh, The Great uh, Retai Tournament Saga, uh, which is an anime. The anime, right? Yeah. Yeah, that shit looks dope. Yeah. I, I haven't checked yeah. out the trailer for that. Um, yeah, you're not into that cool type of stuff. Uh, yeah, all right. I like how people like preference things with, oh, you're not into that like dope shit. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're not fine. <laughs> uh, then we have, uh, can you hear me? Um, uh, and then 13 Reasons Why, which, uh, which is their fourth season and I believe their final season this is going to be, uh, which I've never watched, by the way. I've never watched 13 Reasons Why. Um, and uh, I, I've never watched it too, and I have a million reasons why. <laughs> uh, yeah, either one of us is going to make that joke. I, I let it be you. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I saw the opportunity and I had to jump. It was right there. It was laid hey, out. Hey, what it? Shoot or shoot is what they say. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we have choked. Uh, Pisai Bolta High. Uh, I don't know what that's about, but it's a Netflix film. Uh, the Last Days of American Crime. Uh, Queer Eye season five, uh, and then we have in a throwback on Netflix we have Lady Bird, which uh, which again I, I highly recommend. I thought that was a it's a pretty dope film. Uh, it's been a while since I've ah, seen Lady it. Bird. Okay, um, but uh, but I remember it being really is that really on good. Netflix now? Like that I, believe, I watched it. Uh, well, it's coming this week. I don't know exactly what day this week it drops. Okay, uh, but uh, but yeah, it's supposed to be uh, arriving on Netflix this particular week. Uh, and then in our other streaming services that are kind of newer to the scene, we have Disney uh, Disney Plus. Which uh, they've got a lot of shit on here that I don't think is actually relevant, but I'll name at least one of them, uh, which is uh, Be Our Chef uh, season finale. Uh, it's called the, uh, the Spectacular. Um, and then they have all, all, some other shit on here that I just I think are just new episodes to shit that nobody cares about. So I, I won't even bother. Um, <laughs> so uh, with that being said, let's uh, jump into our first uh, story here. So uh, we got a trailer this week for uh, Perry Mason, actually, uh, which uh, it's not really in my timeline, you know, in terms of uh, um, being something that I used to necessarily watch. You know, I think that there are you know, probably a lot of people who probably did watch Perry Mason, but uh, they're probably of the older variety, if we're going to be, you know, perfectly honest. Uh, uh, but anywho, um, uh, let me give you the quick synopsis of this. Uh, it is uh, it's about um, in booming 1932 Los Angeles, a down and out defense attorney takes on the case of a lifetime. Uh, this is created by uh, 
uh, Ron Fitzgerald as well as Roland Jones and written by both as well uh, and stars uh, Matthew Rice, uh, uh, Tatiana Maslany, which I'm actually a pretty decent fan of hers um, ever since her days in uh, Park uh, or at least. Yeah, I guess she was in multiple episodes, right, of Parks and Rec? I can't remember. But um, uh, John Lithgow, as well as uh, Drew Walton. Uh, and this is due out, I believe, June 12th uh, on HBO. Yeah, I believe that's correct. Yeah, June 12th. Um, and uh, a couple notes. Uh, so this is actually executive produced by... Um, by Robert Downey Jr., actually. Um, and technically, he was actually supposed to be... Uh, uh, playing the lead role of Perry Mason, but uh, but I think because of scheduling reasons he couldn't do it, uh, and so they then uh, searched for uh, for somebody else, uh, and it ended up being Matthew Matthew Race, uh, I believe that's how you pronounce the name. Um, and uh, but Robbie da Robert Downey is still you know on board to executive produce it, uh, and then this is actually based uh, like I was mentioning before on the Perry Mason series and short stories, uh, and uh, novels uh, of such uh, by uh, Erie Stanley uh, Gardner, um, and I believe this was like previously like you know uh, they'd made films about this. Uh, I believe it had a, a, an actual series. Um, on, on TV. Yep, it had a series that ran from like 1957 to like 1966, so it yeah. ran a good while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and so yeah, what you what do you think about the trailer? Uh, I mean, the trailer looks good. This is based in what like uh, Los Angeles in like the 1930s. I believe so. Um, the the actor Matthew Ray's. I've seen him. I think he was in um, another show that I really liked, uh, The Americans. Mm. Um, he's really good in that show. I think he's a great actor. Uh, and there's also the actress that you mentioned, uh, Tatiana Maslany. Yeah. Um, I've seen I've seen her as well in in a, in a project or two. I think she's um, you know she's a really good young up and coming actress as well. Mm -hmm. uh, the trailer trailer looks great. This is a really interesting story. It's about a lawyer who uh, kind of leans towards taking on like those seemingly impossible to defend cases, right? Those cases where it seems black and white but like he has that inkling of suspicion that you know this may not be uh you know as black and white as everyone thinks it is right so he takes on these types of cases and represents those types of clients and like on this like discovery for truth um i think these stories are always really interesting uh you know 1930s not to not like uh air and time in which like i particularly love i wasn't fucking there um so <laughs> uh you know these like period style pieces like uh, either they're a hit because they have like great acting and great production and great storytelling or it's just a miss for me because i kind of get tired of like the time line or the timing of the show mm. um but anyway trailer here looks great yeah i thought this was uh it looked it looked fairly interesting. You know, they, they certainly made kind of like a mystery out of uh, what was going on in the actual, you know, trailer. Um, uh, it's basically, you know, I think that they're looking into the murder of like a baby or something like that, uh, that, that, um, that, that happened. Um, and uh, which is, uh, you know, uh, kind of a gruesome, uh, clearly a gruesome <laughs> crime. Um, and so, uh, so they created a lot of like intrigue and interest, uh, in it. Um, I think this definitely could have benefited from having somebody like Robert Downey in it. Not that Matthew, uh, race, uh, not that he's not going to do a great job. Um, but, uh, but it would have been interesting to see sort of Robert Downey in this particular role and what he could have brought to it. Cause you know, Robert Downey has his Robert Downey style, um, which, you know, he brought to, uh, like Sherlock Holmes, right? Um, when he yeah. when he played Sherlock Holmes um, in, in the films, 
Uh, and what was that movie he played in with like was it Gene Hackman to where he was like uh the the son of a judge or something like that? Yeah, that was you um know? fuck, what was it called? Was it called the judge? It wasn't called the judge. It may it was, it, no, it was. It was something. called the judge. <laughs> no, <laughs> there you go. Called the judge. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Robert Duvall. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What? Yeah. Robert. His Duvall. father. Yeah, yeah. Um. So. So. Yeah. I, I just thought. Uh. I. I. I thought that he could have brought something very. Uh, very interesting to something like this. But. Uh, but. I, you know. I think it, it looks kind. Kind of dope. Either way. Uh, I'll check it out. I'm not gonna lie. I'm, I might not stick with it. But I'll at least peer in uh, to see what's going on. <laughs> you know? So this is definitely be on like HBO Max, right? Uh, well, no, I think it's just going to be on HBO. I think it's just, um, I, I think it, it, it it will be on HBO Max, but it also will be just on HBO as well. On H, gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm hoping because like if this is going to be on HBO or HBO Now or HBO Go, but not on HBO Max, it's like, what the fuck are they doing over there? <laughs> no, no, no. I think that they're going to get everything that HBO gets. So like anything that's available on HBO, the channel or HBO Now, HBO Go, I'm sure will be available on HBO Max. The thing, the thing that's different with HBO Max is that it's got all the other Warner Brothers shit, you know, like literally everything else that Warner Brothers puts out because uh, Warner Brothers, I believe, owns HBO, if I'm not mistaken about that. Um, and so they have the full access to their catalog, which you might not have if you just have the HBO channel um, or, yeah. or just HBO Go or now. So this whole streaming thing, it's like it's getting crazy, right? There's like, I mean, there's fucking Peacock now. There's Quibi. There's HBO Max. There's all types of other streaming services coming out. Uh, I think the next big the next big thing that has to happen to really position one of these streaming services as like the kingpin is going to be for one of them to partner with like DoorDash or Grubhub or like Uber Eats. If I can order some food and time that food <laughs> delivery up with when I want to start the movie, yo, you fucking win. Just take, here's my credit card number. Here's that three digit security code on the back. You already know the, the fucking uh, expiration date. I'm just going to order reckless shit <laughs> and watch hours and hours of mindless television well who do you think first Santa? i i think netflix and doordash do it first because they have like similar colors like door <laughs> netflix is red black and white doordash is red and white what, are they part it of just, the same gang like what <laughs> good it would look gang? good <laughs> yeah netflix like you claim blood <laughs> um yo i it, like, it, it, honestly for, from what you're saying it would actually be the I would think the people who could do like stand the most to benefit from that are actually theaters. They should be coming up with ideas like that. You know what I mean? Like thinking of ways like what if they could because they make a lot of their money through like the concessions. Uh, why don't they do something like partnering up where they uh, for if somebody orders a movie through them? Like so for say for instance, if if um, Tenet comes out right and. Uh, uh, and they put it out on, on demand as well, right? Why don't they uh, partner up with like different restaurants, things like that, in order to like create like an entire experience through that on-demand process, right? So like instead of it just being you order the movie, maybe now you can order a movie and then, you, you know, they can also link up the delivery with it, you know, so that as soon as you get the delivery, boom, the movie's going to start, you know, and then they can create like a whole like experience around it right there in your home, you know, uh, versus just kind of sitting on their hands and being like, well, either we show it in theaters or we don't, you know, and it's like, all right, well, <laughs> very creative. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, the, the movie theater industry needs to get creative fast. They need to start having been like thinking about this shit since like February. Like, how are we going to unfuck ourselves um, post this coronavirus pandemic? Yeah. Um, uh, luckily, you know, movie theaters right now, because of like all the protests that are going on around the city, like I don't think anybody's breaking into or burning down movie theaters. <laughs> um, so like they should still have like uh, some property remaining intact after all of this. Yeah. Um, so Christopher Nolan is is it going to be what's the first movie again? We talked about it, Tenet. wasn't it like some Mark Wahlberg movie? No, isn't there some movie? Oh that's gonna... no, it's a Russell Crowe movie called Unhinged. Is the first movie that's yeah. coming out? Yeah, July, July. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry, June fourth, maybe. I, I think it comes out this particular week. I, I, I want to say. Uh, yeah. yeah. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh good luck indeed uh, but uh but yeah let, let's, let's press forward here uh next story um so you know obviously last week we got word that um uh that the snyder cut was going to be you know uh released on uh, the snyder cut for justice league was going to be released on hbo max eventually right it'll come out next year and so essentially what happened is is that there was enough sort of upswell from fans about having a snyder cut that uh they then went to uh hbo thought it would be a great plan to like hey we've got this new hbo max we need to get people excited about it why don't we put out the snyder cut quote unquote to uh, uh, to our platform so that people can be like, oh, this is this new thing that uh, that we wanted. Uh, and so uh, inevitably, you know, with, uh, you know, with these type of things, what happens is people then get other ideas in their mind, like, what else can we do, right? If they give an inch, we're definitely going to take 18 miles, you know? So, uh, so what are we here now? Now people uh, are clamoring for an extended cut of Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. Uh, this story comes to us from uh, Cineblend. Uh, they write, uh, Star Wars fans have uh, set up a petition on change.org with the sole goal of having Disney release a four-hour extended cut of Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. At the time of this reporting, the petition has 17,287 signatures. Uh, and then there's a, uh, I got a blurb from the actual, uh, I, I guess... Um, petition or whatever uh the original star wars rendered to 2005 uh cut was over four hours long and we think that george lucas should be the uh should do the right thing and give the fans what they deserve and what is rightfully ours i didn't i, I didn't even read that line when i first read this uh what's rightfully ours huh interesting uh we love democracy and we hope he does too what <laughs> yeah yo there is such entitlement in this statement um anyways um know who wrote this yeah. <laughs> yeah, nobody that looks like us uh, i would have to assume um but uh as of right now there is no evidence that there's a four-hour revenge of the sith uh cut that exists uh, but there have been rumors that exist for some time the current runtime for the revenge of the sith is two hours and 22 minutes uh it's likely that the creative team shot a, uh, a ton of footage uh yeah yeah um uh so one person that doesn't necessarily agree with um uh, this whole thing about extended cuts is Ryan Johnson uh, because he argued that uh, that his director's cut is the theatrical version that got put out uh, because the deleted scenes were actually taken out for a reason. Um, and so that brings me to the larger point in this and, and the most likely what's going to be the problem with the, the quote-unquote Snyder cut when it's released uh, is that just because something is longer doesn't mean it's 
better. And I don't, it's a pretty obvious thing to, to see, but for some reason people have it in their minds. Hey, if you give me a lump of shit, just make that shit more and it'll be less shitty. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. That's 100% not the way it works. Yeah. I mean, I think like uh, a lot of times when like directors and editors are um, like when they chop down a movie, like let's say you have 12 hours of footage. This is the reason why that 12 hours of footage is not put out. There's a reason why it's condensed to like, whether it's, less than two hours or maybe it's like anywhere between two to three hours is because like that's the footage that tells like that tells the best story right it tells a cohesive story it makes sense sometimes adding in a bunch of other random scenes that uh that don't really contribute to the story just makes the movie longer it doesn't make the movie better like you said more doesn't always mean better right it's making sure that the story makes sense the plot makes sense there's a beginning there's a middle and there's an end and that that those three phases are satisfying um i remember watching revenge of the sith it was a good movie do i want to see a four hour extended cut <laughs> no 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 i'm 100 good on that uh and I mean, just this, this petition is nonsense. I think it got over 17,000 signatures. I'm, I'm always surprised at how many um, assholes are, are out there who agree with like this asshole ideology. Uh, <laughs> it's what, what, what did they say? Like uh, what's rightfully ours? Yeah. Dude. Uh, George Lucas should do the right thing. For, Get the fuck out of First of all, first of all, George Lucas should do the right thing as in like, like it, it shows that when people watch movies, like they again, and we talked about this before, when people have, like, inherent ownership of that movie, right? Like, people think that just because a movie gets put out and they're a fan of it, then that means they own the film. And it's like, well, no, you're a fan of the film, right? Like, you're, you pay your money, you go see the movie, sure, but that's, like, that's where your ownership stops, is when you actually purchase the thing, right? Um, you don't get to say, oh, you have to change this thing. This, this is something that came out of somebody else's mind. Like, you don't get to control that, like, to, to a very large extent. I understand that you might want to do things or not do things based on what people might feel about it, right? But also, like, if it weren't for George Lucas at all, like, we wouldn't even, there would be no Star Wars, if I'm, uh, if I'm yeah. to understand correctly, right? He's the one who fucking came up with this shit. Now, I, I, I you know, whatever my personal feelings might be about Revenge of the Sith, I'm not going to sit here and argue with his cut of it, right? And and then on top of that, you're asking for more of his cut. Like, like if, if like look how they phrase it, right? They said, um, "Hold on, let me let me go back to the actual quote here." They say, uh, "We think that George Lucas should do the right thing." So basically, they're saying that, "Hey, the sh the cut that you made was shit. We need you to do the right thing and release the full." But the thing yeah. he put out you think is shit. So why are you asking for more of the thing that he put out? Like it, it's ask and to come out of retirement and to go back into the studio to start putting together more shit just because you asked him to. And, I was, I, and if, if I'm correct, George Lucas sold his, um, sold Lucas films to Disney yeah. for, was it like 1.4 billion? Yeah. Uh, so it's not, even if he wanted to, I don't even think he has the right to the content anymore no. because he sold it yeah. and he sold it because he didn't want to do this shit yeah. anymore. So, he just so wanted to so, so they're wrong on a few accounts, right? Like they're wrong on the fact that like they're aiming this at the wrong person, <laughs> right? It's not George Lucas. They should be directing this at, this should be at Disney. But then on top of it, it's like, yo, you're, you're so like, this is so stupid. Like, why are we going to release a, an extended four-hour cut of the movie that you hate? 
Like, <laughs> like, why do you think you're going to like more of the movie that you hate? It's so stupid. Um, Makes sense. And it's, and it's not yours. You have no rights to it. If you get into an Uber, it's not your car. <laughs> you know, this person is taking you for this ride. They're taking you where you asked them to take you. And that's, that's as far as the relationship goes, right? Mm-hmm. George Lucas, the people at Lucas Films, the people, the creators of Star Wars, they created this thing. Um, I think the thing was good. You know, just because you don't love it or you want a little bit more of it, you're not entitled to it, right? Yeah. Um, that and that's that's really the end of the conversation. Like, I just want Lucas Films to respond to the petition and just say no. <laughs> like that's it that's that's the only <laughs> message can in the response there's no like formal um you know content there's no like formal write-up that they had some like legal assistant do it just, just says no yeah no that's absolutely <laughs> what they should do is just be like yeah no we're not going to do that uh and uh and and so but you know this is america you know where you can basically say whatever the fuck you want right so like yeah like i, I i'm not I'm not saying that people shouldn't say what they feel, right? I'm just saying how you feel is stupid. That's all I'm saying, you know. So, <laughs> uh, so we're we're, we're going to move forward here um, with our with our next story. Um, so uh, this next thing we're we're going to talk about is uh, is the Gosling himself, you know, uh, the the walking meme. I don't. I, I just made that up on the spot. That that has no place in actual reality of being his nickname. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we have uh, Ryan Gosling, uh, who we got some news about this past week, uh, who is poised to uh, star in uh, a new Wolfman movie for Universal uh, Pictures. And I guess this is a part of their whole, you know, monster movie uh, mashup, team up, something universe. I don't know. Uh, it, it all gets very confusing. Um, but uh, but essentially. Uh, and this comes to us from uh, Collider. Uh, Ryan Gosling is poised to star in a new Wolfman movie that is beginning to take shape uh, at Universal Pictures. Uh, multiple sources have told Collider over the past uh, several months. Uh, Corey Finley, who I believe wrote and directed, uh, although I might not be correct about that, uh, 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 HBO's Bad Education, is being eyed to direct uh, from a script uh, by Rebecca Angelo and Lauren Shakur Blum based on a pitch from Gosling, who had initially considered directing the film himself. Uh, the studio is still meeting with directors and is expected to make a decision soon. Um, so, uh, and they also go on to say that uh, the film's going to take kind of like a, a darker sort of note um, and uh, and have a kind of a tone that's similar to uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's uh, Nightcrawler, which was a fucking fantastic film for anybody who hasn't seen it. Yeah. Um, and uh, and uh, the the classic '70s drama network, which is very fucking interesting. I think that's a very interesting sort of take on potential a uh, potential Wolfman um, film. But I also think it could that could definitely work. Right. So if you think back to Nightcrawler, you saw, you, you think to yourself that it's kind of like a slow descent into like fucking madness for the, um, uh, for Jake Gyllenhaal's character. I forget what his character was actually named. Um, but, uh, but if you think about that context, then, you know, having a Wolfman film, um, with Ryan Gosling kind of, uh, kind of taking that same sort of note, isn't completely out of like, you know, the, the, uh, the realm of possibility, you know? Um, so I, I'm all about this. Uh, I, I think it sounds very interesting and, and I want to see, we'll see, see what comes of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this would be good for Ryan Gosling too. I mean, obviously he's a stellar actor. Everybody knows that he's uh, he's a stellar actor. And I actually thought it was really interesting too, that um, initially uh, he was 
poised to direct this film. Um, he, but Ryan Gosling, uh, he very well could still um, might still be directing this film or part of like a, what is it like a co-director or assistant director whatever it may be um but i think this will be good for him like so not only starring in a film where he's both acting and potentially directing it but like a, a character that already has like a rich history and, and storytelling there's been like several wolfman movies that were made i think the most recent wolfman movie was with uh um who's the actor who played hannibal lecter again oh um uh him. His name's uh, Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. And I think like Benicio Del Toro was in that film as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ryan Gosling, the, his most recent movies all like, you know, very well known. I mean, La La Land, I think that movie won like, didn't it win Best Picture? Or was it like a no, runner-up for Best uh, Picture? Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was mistakenly uh, given Best Picture, but then, you know, they were like, whoops, sorry. Uh, yeah, kidding. It's, moon- it's Moonlight. Moonlight <laughs> Uh, so that was in 2016, La La Land and Blue Valentine, which is in 2010. Um, he also had like Blade Runner 2049, which came out in 2017. I think that was less of like a Ryan Gosling movie. It was just like a, a great, you know, continuation of the Blade Runner story with uh, um, uh, Harrison Ford and Dave Bautista. Uh, First Man was his like, I think that was his most recent project yeah, in 2018. Yeah, which is a pretty good movie. I, I, I would have to say so myself. But like, you know, the the thing about all these movies that Ryan Gosling has done, they've been for the most part, like smaller projects, right? Um, like smaller budget projects, smaller name projects. Drive was probably one of my favorite uh, projects that he's done recently, as well as, um, you know, uh, what is it? The, the, the Drive Along the Pines or something like that? Oh, the Place Behind the Pines. Um, place Behind the Pines, yeah. yeah uh, but, that was a good project. But I, I would have to push back a little bit. I, I don't know if he necessarily is taking like lower, like it, I think maybe he typically does, but uh, but he's done some big things, right? Like, so if you think back to um, Blade Runner 2049, wasn't a small movie by any stretch of the imagination. Very expensive yeah, no, and big. That was like, when I think about that movie, I don't think like this is a Ryan Gosling film, right? I, I think I Harrison. I think it's. A, I, I think it was a mashup of kind of both things, right? So, uh, Blade Runner was I like a, a that movie. Say that I completely forgot Ryan Gosling was in that movie. <laughs> no, I, I I didn't at all. He's in literally the entire movie. Um, but uh, but I, I think that Blade Runner twenty forty nine was kind of a it, it was a it was a um, it was an independent film with a big film budget. Uh, it's kind of how it felt like because it was more quiet, more understated film, but it had a massive budget. Uh, and then also. Um, uh, he he, uh, first man, which is you know that that's no small film in and of itself. So I, I think he has a tendency to kind of float. He he he's built the arena where he can kind of float from one thing to another. Sometimes what happens is that you get a person who uh, can go from doing really small, low budget films to doing big blockbusters, and they can't go back. You know, they kind of they kind of just float there in that uh, that stratosphere of only being in these big budget films. But I think he's made a good career out of basically doing whatever the fuck he wants to do. Um, and being, uh, and then also being selective about w- what he wants to do uh, with, with each project. So this this Wolfman film doesn't. Um, I don't think it, it's completely out of the wheelhouse for him as far as uh, you know being a part of a project that's uh, that's a that's a little bigger in, in scope. No, yeah, and I think you made a good point there. Like Ryan Gosling, he can do like the you know again he can do like a Blade Runner, which I think was going to be a big film whether he was in it or not, just because it's like. Blade Runner, um, but he can do like crazy, stupid love. He could do Gangster Squad, which was, I think, another one of uh, one of the really good projects that he did. Yeah, um, the nice. So guys. he has range. Yeah, I think the nice guys was a really great film as well. 
Nice Guys is funny. So Ryan Gosling definitely has range. I think this would be a good project for him. Like, all right, hey, here's like the actor we're familiar with, who we know is great, who's bringing back to life this like real character who already has like a rich story. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I think of the universal projects, uh, it, I was reading in the article, of the universal projects that are underway or being planned, um, his this Wolfman project is one that has some real legs under it, yeah. under it and we're likely to see this um, hopefully start to like going get going into motion pretty soon and uh, maybe even going to production post the coronavirus pandemic. So yeah, yeah, I, I'd be here for this for sure. Yeah. All right. Um, let's move on to our next story. Um, so this particular story comes to us, uh, from, uh, uh, from NME, uh, and is talking about, uh, uh, the girl with the dra uh, dragon tattoo, which, um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of that movie. Uh, the, the fucking movie loved was, it. Yeah. I think it was a fucking fantastic film. Um, and since then, since, uh, I think it was 2009 or 2010, uh, that that film came out with Rooney Mara and, um, uh, and uh, Daniel, uh, Craig. Daniel Craig, um, there's been a kind of a couple of different sort of things that have come out that they try to kind of reboot the series uh, because it, it was originally like a, a trilogy of books that came out. Um, and uh, and I think the girl with the dragon tattoo was like kind of the first movie or first book in the series um and then it moves to to other films and they've tried to since do sort of those other films now it is worth mentioning that uh uh, Nomi Rapace uh, actually originally played uh, the um, uh, the the character of um, in the Swedish version. In the Swedish version, which I believe came out before the the American version in 2010. Um, yep. And so, uh, so anyways, uh, we get news that uh, the, and again, this is from NME, um, A Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, a spinoff series is currently in the works uh, at Amazon, framing a standalone Elizabeth uh, Salander uh, story, according to Variety. The project would not act uh, as a sequel or prequel to either Steig Larson's book series or the adapted film series instead uh writing a new story in a new setting that takes place uh in today's world with new characters along Elizabeth. um so uh so yeah that, that's really interesting uh to, to see you know um that we're going to get a girl with the dragon tattoo film or i guess series but it's not necessarily going to be anything that we've seen before or that anybody's even read before because it's going to be kind of an original story, um, which is uh, which is really interesting. Uh, what's your appetite for uh, for for something like that? Oh, when I saw this, I absolutely loved it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the what we've got so far from this like oh. book trilogy, uh, again, the sweetest version with uh, Nomi, Nomi Rapace, um, the 2011 film with Rooney Mara and Daniel Craig, as well as the most recent um, uh, film adaption to the book series, uh, The Girl in the Spider's Web, which came out in 2018, mm -hmm. uh, directed by David Fincher. Um, I forget who was the actress in that film. Uh, Claire Foy. So... You know, I, I even really liked the 2018 um, uh, film. I also like the titles to these books too. Like, <laughs> I, I want to see more books and more movies. Like, what can they do with these titles? I think there was another one, like the girl who kicked the hornet's nest. Yeah, right. Isn't that one of the the girl who double parked? <laughs> uh, <laughs> all very intriguing titles. So, um, you know. I hope this project goes into production. I, I can't wait to see this this project. Um, I think getting the Elizabeth Salander character 
uh, down is going to be the tough part, right? Mm-hmm. I think finding the actress to play that character to continue to bring that character back to life and then create more stories around that character, I think that's going to be the most challenging part. But in the 2011 version with Rooney Mara, which was uh, uh, and Daniel Craig, which was my favorite. Um, her character was so fascinating. I mean, there's like, there's so much we don't know about her character, which allows for like some really interesting, great storytelling. So um, whenever this project gets underway, whenever this project gets released, I'm 100% going to be there for it. Um, shit, I might go, I might what? You know, I was looking for a movie to watch tonight. Like something, I rewatch it. you know, something that I've already seen before that I don't really have to pay too much attention to you know just gives you a little bit of comfort like hey i'm gonna watch something that's good that i'm already familiar with i don't have to think too much this might be it yeah yeah no it's it's an excellent film the the film from 2000 i believe it was 2010 um but uh but yeah i the the one thing i I would say is is like uh, dude i had no interest in watching the 2018 film um and uh it was good though man it it was good i i didn't i didn't uh yeah yeah i didn't i didn't check it out um but uh but yeah i just man i I don't know what kind of money they have to offer her or like what kind of like perks to get rooney Rooney mar back like let's come on let's do this again everybody can eat you know uh but yeah uh, yeah i don't know if it's for artistic reasons why she doesn't want to kind of revisit the character or yeah i don't i don't know um yeah i didn't i never read up on like why she uh she hasn't been back to play the character because everybody yeah there's nobody who i know that didn't enjoy that film you know um yeah yeah it was such a it was such a well done film um and so so yeah um yeah i'm 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 looking forward to this only to the degree that uh you know let's see what other details come out about it that perhaps we can get her back um if not then i'm kind of going to be a little more lukewarm than i would have been otherwise but uh yeah yeah. jeff bezos needs to just give her like free amazon prime for life like free next day delivery (laughs) you you know he's got some in amazon you know being the uh being the uh the the owner the the ceo or whatever so uh so yeah we we can just go straight to the top you know he's got some stroke that's how he uh ended up getting divorced <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah so uh I, I, you know hopefully that conversation with her continues and maybe they like woo her back to the project uh if not i think you, you know finding the actress is going to be the most challenging part um but excited for this project for sure yeah 100 all right uh let's uh let's move forward here with our next uh story um so our, our oh, whoops, I am sorry. I just uh, yeah. You, no worries. Yeah, so you I I, I want to say something before we actually start talking about this story, mm. right? Um, there is a notion among like creatives and entrepreneurs or um, just people in general, right? That like when you do something great, uh, and, and I think this was uh, the woman who who wrote the book Eat, Pray, Love. Um, she did a TED talk to where she talked, uh, she she spoke about this topic, right? And it's like, whenever you do something great, like if you write a movie, if you write a book like Eat, Pray, Love, and you create the movie, then it's great, right? People expect you to like do the next great thing, right? Like J.K. Rowling, for example, she wrote the Harry Potter books, and um, the Harry Potter movies were a huge success. And then people are like, well, J.K. Rowling, like, what is your next great thing? What is your next Harry Potter? Um, that's not always the case, right? Like, just because you do one great thing, it doesn't mean you have to do a second great thing or a third great thing. Like, one is kind of enough sometimes. I mean, think about the people who go through their lives and they like never get a chance to do something like 
you know, great and large to that magnitude where billions of people across the planet love it. Um, and that's what Sylvester Stallone was able to do, right? Um, and fortunately for him, he's done a lot of great things. He, you know, he did Rocky, he did Rambo, right? Both two like iconic roles. Um, he's been able to eat off of this Rocky thing for the better part of like 40 years now, right? Um, and, and that's, and, and it's still great. Right. So uh, the next story that we're going to talk about here is this uh, Rocky documentary um, that has been announced. Uh, so when is this project coming out? Uh, I believe it's due out June 9th uh, is when it's coming out on uh, on demand. Uh, so let me let me give you some info here from uh, and this comes to us by way of uh, IndieWire. Uh, the upcoming Rocky documentary narrated by uh, franchise star Sylvester Stallone premieres on uh, on demand on June uh, June 9th. Uh, 40 years uh, of Rocky, that, uh, that's what this documentary is uh, entitled, uh, 40 Years of Rocky, The Birth of a Classic, uh, written and produced by Derek uh, Wayne Johnson. You know, side note, uh, I believe his name is Dwayne Johnson is, is what he's trying to pull off there. We see what you're doing, Derek Wayne Johnson. <laughs> um, offers a deep dive into the making of the original Rocky film as Stallone recalls his experiences working uh, on the on the movie. Um, you can pre-order uh, 40 Years of Rocky, the birthplace of a classic, uh, birth of a classic on iTunes uh, or Apple TV and, um, and Amazon, uh, but it arrives uh, worldwide on June 9th, uh, 2020 uh, to all digital HD platforms. Um, so, so yeah, man, um, when I was reading up on this, man, I was, uh, I was actually excited, man, because, you know, uh, when I was a kid and I think we've talked about this on the podcast a number of times when I was a kid, I used to, uh, I used to love Rocky four and I still do. I, I, you know, Rocky four was one of the best, you know, films I've ever watched, uh, because of nostalgia, right. When I think back to a kid, just watching him versus Ivan Drago. Yeah. Yada, yada. And I think that's pretty much like the first Rocky film that I actually did watch from like beginning to end. Right. It wasn't until I, I got older, and I think I did watch like Rocky One when I was a kid, but it looked all old and you know just like boring kind of. Wasn't sexy. Any, yeah, that the training montage wasn't necessarily as good as like you know Sylvester Stallone out in the snow in Rocky Four and fucking you know uh, all the shit that he did in Rocky Four. But as an adult, when I went back to watch the first Rocky, I was so fucking blown away at how just how intimate the story is, uh, the, the normal shit that he goes through and the whole scenario, right? Like I, I remember one of the, one of the most jarring scenes that I've ever watched in any film ever was when a scene from Rocky where he's, he's walking with the, the, there's this like little girl in the neighborhood that he, sees she's hanging out with all these dudes right uh who what's her little marie little something yeah, marie. something like marie or something like that uh yeah and he's and so he walks her home and he's like hey like look don't hang out with these guys you know the people might think you know weird of you or you know he's just and like you know for whatever you might think of his advice he's just trying to like he's trying to look out for you know and then at the end of it she's just listening 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 then they get to her stoop and then he's like all right well i guess i'll see you later and she's like hey rocky and he's like yeah She's like, hey, F you, man. Or she says something something like that. And I just was like, wait, what? <laughs> My mind was blown. And it, but it, that's such a real thing um, to, to, to have it so that like, like that's a relatable thing uh, to, to like try to give somebody advice and try to give them all this knowledge. And then at the end of it, they're like, fuck you. Like, and you're like, all right, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Say that one more time. 
No, so it happens every day. It does. It does, man. Um, so anyways, so, you know, I say all that to say, uh, I, I will love to see how this movie was put together. And, and if not for any reason, then, um, we get to see inside of the window because, you know, Stallone, he wrote Rocky and I, I don't think he directed it. Uh, I've been saying that for a long time, but I don't think that's actually true. I think, uh, I forget who actually directed Rocky, if not Stallone, but, um, but he went through a journey trying to make this film, you know, and he was pretty much down and out when, uh, when he was coming up with the, the idea of the film and, and trying to get it made. Um, so it'll be so fascinating to see sort of how all that got put together and, and to see him and Carl Weathers together, how they sort of plotted things out, uh, for all the, the, the boxing scenes. Uh, it, it'll be incredible to, uh, to, to see this, this, uh, this documentary. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, one of the more fascinating things about this, like to your point, the the, the, the boxing scenes with Carl, Carl Weathers, right? One of the things we've learned about this movie over time is that like those scenes were very much real. Like some of the punches that uh, Stallone took were very real punches um, because he wanted the realism of like being in a boxing match uh, in this film. Unlike some of the boxing movies that we see today where like the actors get really buff and physical uh, or they get like really buff and like they had the physique of a boxer, but they're not taking real punches to the face. Stallone was taking real punches to the face. Yeah, uh, um, well, I, I have to pause you there because uh, Michael B. definitely took a real shot because uh, it knocked him the fuck out. <laughs> <It's> yeah, like- <laughs> that's the difference. You know, Stallone didn't get dropped. <laughs> well, uh, we we may see it in in this yeah, uh, documentary. <laughs> But yeah, there's so much storytelling going on here. I mean, Stallone was literally broke um, when he was uh, making this movie. Um, And I I think the story is that like when it was released in theaters, he actually hated it. He didn't love it at all. Like He was embarrassed by it. He thought it was going to be a huge flop and it went on to be one of the greatest movies of all time. Uh, You know, film was inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame. I think Stallone uh, was inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame as well. Uh, So there's so much story here. I love Stallone. Uh, he's he's a uh, he's always been like one of my favorite actors. I love uh, Rocky. I love Rambo. I like the Expendables um, and everything he's done in between. Uh, so definitely gonna be looking out for this when it comes out on VOD. So what is it, June 9th? Uh, yeah, I believe. Uh, yeah, this is uh, this is coming out on June 9th, uh, which again I'm I'm pretty excited for. I, I might even fuck around and fucking pre-order this shit. I and I never pre-order a goddamn thing. So. <laughs> But I want to see this for sure. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think this is a must watch. Um, and, uh, and yeah, um, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to see sort of what, uh, what it all sort of entails. Uh, but nonetheless, we, uh, we persist. Um, so, uh, now we are going to, uh, talk about, uh, something that, um, yeah, uh, we're just going to jump right into it. I'm not even going to give it any pretext. Uh, so, uh, so Netflix came out uh, and made some comments uh, about uh, clearly a situation that's uh, happening in our society today. And, and, you know, we try to keep the podcast light. We try to keep things um, we, we try to keep things to a certain tone um, because, you know, we're just talking about TV and film, you know, uh, and. Uh, and so, but, uh, every now and then something happens in, in, in society and our culture, uh, that, uh, that demands, you know, for us to comment on it and to talk about it at length. And I think this is definitely one of those times, you know, uh, yeah. and, and so, you know, obviously, you know, this, these past weeks, uh, have been, um, 
you know, there, there's been a lot of protests and there's been a, 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 a lot of uh, things going on, like riots, things like that. And it's all uh, kind of uh, precipitated from, um, you know, uh, the death of George Floyd, who uh, he, he was a, uh, a, a black guy who was uh, who was arrested. And um, essentially um, when he was being arrested, uh, he was um, he uh, essentially had a police officer sort of um, uh, not sort of, but clearly put his uh, knee on uh, George's uh, George's neck and just proceeded to keep it there for at least what, like what almost like 10 minutes that he, at least. That he yeah. I think it was saw. like, I think it was like a total of eight minutes is that the officer was kneeling on his neck. Uh, and, and to be, to, uh, uh, to give a little bit more context here, it was actually four total of four officers who were like kneeling on this man. Um, one of the officers this Derek. Uh, I think it's like, Cavin, Cavin, or something like that. I don't know his last name, but was kneeling on his neck. Um, what we've come to find out, uh, what we come to learn about, like how police officers are trained, right? Um, a lot of police officers have come out and says that, like, this is not part of the code of conduct in like detaining a suspect kneeling on a uh, you know a suspect's necks whether they're guilty and you're arresting them or whether they're just being detained is not part of the training whatsoever. Um, so there's so many things here that that went wrong. I mean, all one officer, one of the five officers who are on the scene had to do was, uh, you know, remove the knee from his neck, right? Ask him to um, no longer to detain him in that way. Um, it could have been after he said, he, I can't breathe for the first time. It could have been after he said, I can't breathe for the second or the third time. Um, I think when paramedics arrived on the scene, one of the paramedics uh, went and did a, a, a pretty bullshit pulse check. Um, and then at no point in time do they think like, hey, this guy is non-responsive. The officer who's kneeling on his neck, who's essentially suffocating him, let me advise that officer to like, you know, get off of him, right? Uh, there's so many points in time in which any of these individuals who were on the scene could have did the right thing to prevent this man from dying and no one cared enough uh, to stop it. Yeah. So, you know, George Floyd was pronounced dead at the hospital shortly after this incident. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, since then, there's been a, a, a swell of... Um, uh, of you know demonstrations and uh, protest and 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 uh, that's kind of turned into full out uh, riots um, and just just general uh, unrest um, and so uh, and so anyways uh, as as far as what we're talking about uh, uh, the one thing that you know I can say is that uh, Netflix came out with a statement um, talking about this uh, essentially like alluding to it um, so their their statement uh, read to be uh, silent is to be complicit. Black Lives Matter. Um, we have a platform and we have a duty to our black members, employees and creators uh, and talent to speak up. Um, and which I, which I thought was, um, you know, it, it was a, a commendable thing to do. You know, one can argue if it if it goes far enough. But um, but, you know, as an organization, as a company. Uh, to see something like this and to say, you know, like fucking right is right, wrong is wrong. Um, and we're going to, you know, say exactly that no matter what, you know, uh, a backlash we might receive because of it. You know, so many companies are a little timid to make comments about social shit that happens because it might not be best for business. Right. Like, you know, not everybody might agree that, you know, what you're taking on any given uh, uh, subject is. Um, yeah, that, that's right. I mean, a lot of corporations remain silent because they have like. Uh, they have customers on both sides of it, yeah. right? Some customers who are like, you know, on the side of the police, some customers who are on the side of, um, you know, the protesters. Uh, and I'm, 
I was happy to see that Netflix didn't really care about size. It just cared about delivering uh, or lending their voice and their platform to a message of like unity and positivity. Uh, so after Netflix released their statement, uh, several other companies, I think this is like all in the same day, um, uh, on May 30th, several other companies followed. So Stars released a statement as well. I'll read a short excerpt from theirs. Uh, it says like, we cannot stand silent while our black community continues to suffer under the weight of violence discrimination and injustice, color of change and the NAACP are among the organizations taking the lead in the fight for uh, radical justice, uh, a racial, ju in racial justice in America. We support them in their mission and you can too. Visit uh, colorofchange.org and NAACP.org to donate and learn more. Uh, I'm gonna read another one here from Amazon uh, Video and Amazon Studios. It says, uh, together we stand with the black community, colleagues, artists, uh, writers, storytellers, producers, and our viewers, and and all allies in the fight against racism and injustice, hashtags Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like a, a number of you know companies thereafter followed kind of suit. Uh, YouTube released a statement, uh, Hulu released a statement, uh, I believe HBO released a statement. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, Quibi, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> released a statement. Thanks. Quibi, thank you. Uh, you know, I, I, I've not been on your platform. <laughs> Um, you know, thank you for being conscious enough to lend your platform. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, also Twitch uh, released, a, released a statement as well. Um, so look, I, I, I wanted to, to talk about this because like, of course, Netflix is kind of in our wheelhouse. We talk about TV and film. Um, but then also, you know, like I, I, you know, we have a platform here, you know, uh, uh, that, you know, precisely five people watch, but, uh, <laughs> but we have a platform here. And so, you know, I, I just wanted to use this time to kind of just you know, get out some things that I, that I was feeling that I've been observing over the past few days. Uh, what I'll start with is, um, uh, you know, if I'm to relate this back to TV and film, uh, I kind of come from left field here. Uh, I remember watching, again, one of my favorite directors of all time is uh, Christopher Nolan. And in The Dark Knight, right, there's a scene with, uh, with Catwoman and uh, Batman. Uh, at the time, they were, you know... Uh, and I forget what her name is. Uh, what's her name? What's Catwoman's actual name? Uh, whatever, I do not know. Yeah, whatever her actual name is. And then Bruce Wayne. But they're at like this gala. And, uh, and you know, Batman, he or Bruce Wayne, he's, he's saying like, you know, uh, he knows something's coming. Right. And she's and Catwoman is essentially telling him. And she says the line, how long did you think you guys could live, you know, so uh, so well and give so little to the rest of us, you know? Um, and, um, and that line always kind of stuck with me because it's fucking true, you know, like how long can you just go on ignoring shit that happens in the world? Uh, especially when it's so close to you, you know, here in America, it's so, you know, if something happens in another country, that's so far away for, for a lot of us that it's just like, okay, like what, what can I do about that? But then, yo, this is happening like in your backyard, up your street, you know, like this is, this is in your neighborhood, whether you like to think so or not, you know, um, that, uh, chances are you're, you're close to where, you know, a lot of the cities right now, you know, that are, that are protesting and rioting and, um, you know, doing all these things, uh, it's happening in your, in your, in the place that you live, you know? Um, and so it's like, you know, and I hear people online saying, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, people are rioting and, and looting and doing all this other stuff and using that as a way to then 
not have to address or deal with the actual fucking instance, right? Uh, the, the, the metaphor that I can use is like, imagine if I spin on your mom, right? And then you punch me in the face. And then my only question after that is, why'd you punch me in the face? Like, yeah. motherfucker, because you spit on my mom. Like, what do you, like, what, what, what response are you expecting? Like, of course that's what happened. And so, you know, what, what I would say to, to the people who, who are asking those type of questions is, look, you could, you know, just question everything of like, oh, well, I don't know if this is only happening to black people. Uh, and even in, in a complete side note, like, let's go through that logic of, oh, it's, you know, um, oh, it's not just only happening to black people. OK, so it fits in the wheelhouse of the shit that's fucked up. Right. Police uh, brutality is police brutality. Right. So if you don't think it's just happening to black people, OK, aren't you against police brutality? Why is it so hard for you to. Uh, why is that such a hard thing to get on board with that the shit shouldn't exist period right whether you believe it's yeah. only happening to black people or not or that it's happening pre -dis uh, 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 disproportionately to black people in America uh, you know that shouldn't be something that you're against at all um, uh, or it shouldn't be something that you're 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 trying to dispute that should that's not the point of the the whole situation right um, uh, but then also sort of trying to drill down um there's only so long you can go ignoring the situation before you start seeing things like police precincts being burned down to the ground right because if somebody's telling you that something's going on hey like this is a fucked up situation and we're seeing this happen uh we all have the cell phones we all have the you know we all see the footage uh, uh of shit like this going on um, and what was so startling about that video, man, is, is that it, it's not just that it happened, right? Because we've seen videos of, of black people getting shot. We, we, we've, we've, we've been through cycles of that, right? What was so startling about this is, man, like people were sitting there pleading for this guy's life. They were pleading for George's life. And the police officer still was like, no, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just going to continue doing this. I don't, I don't give a shit, you know, almost like, and the only way you get that attitude is if you know, there's not going to be like any recourse for what it is that you're doing, right? If you know, you're going to be punished, or if you know, something's going to happen, or something's going to come of it, then you just release them. You'd be like, okay, like, I don't want that smoke, right? But he was just like, no, I don't give a shit. Nothing's going to happen to me. You know, of course, that didn't turn out to be true. But, uh, or at least we'll, we'll, we'll see, you know, if that turns out to be true. But um, yeah, it, 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 if you're one of those people who's saying that, you know, you, you're amazed that, oh, they're burning buildings and they're doing this. Look, the buildings and shit, that's going to be fine, right? People have insurance. That's all That's all replaceable, right? What's not replaceable is George Floyd's life, right? He's dead. He's gone. That's it. Yeah. It's over. Um, you know, and so if you can't look at that situation and see why people are upset or see why things are happening, well, maybe you should try to. Like, instead of taking the usual stance that you take, perhaps, perhaps you should just try to see things from other people's perspective, right? And and see what's going on before. Look, people are burning, they're like, oh, I can't believe these people are burning down their own neighborhoods. They're, do, they're doing this to themselves. Okay, I've got a scary thought for you. How long before they start coming to your neighborhood to burn it down? Is that yeah. what you want? And on top of that, I mean, that's not their neighborhood anyway, right? Like the the buildings in those neighborhoods, they don't own them. You know, the the stores in those neighborhoods, they don't own them. Uh, they're in those neighborhoods. They're being over policed and watched anyway. So it's like, burn the shit down. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, I'm gonna jump in and share a few thoughts as well. I think, like for me, the one of the most interesting things is like um, accountability, like or you know, the lack thereof, right? 
I think all of this could have been avoided or all of this would have been a lot less drastic than what we're seeing here if those officers would have just been held accountable for their actions to begin with. Um, in any other job, right? Like if you work uh, in, in, in a restaurant industry, if you work in an office, if you work in any other job and you were to not even take someone's life to to hurt someone on the job, right? You would be fired from your job. You would be, there would be an investigation into you. You'd be held accountable. If you injured someone seriously, you'd be arrested and, um, you, you know, you'd be, have to sit before a judge, right? In America, though, police officers, you know, you can literally kill someone. You can shoot someone in the head. You can shoot someone in the back of the head. Someone could be laying on the ground, not resisting arrest. You can take that person's life and you will be protected by the system for as long as they can possibly protect you. That makes absolutely no sense. Um, if, you know, this officer, Derek, uh, Chauvin or whatever his name is, as well as those four or five other police officers that were on the scene, if they would have simply been held accountable for their actions, most of this could have been avoided. And by held accountable, I don't mean, uh, you know, uh, thrown in prison and executed for their actions. I don't mean like giving them the death penalty. I mean, simply arrested, um, pending an investigation and you know have their day in court where they have to explain their actions in like a public setting where like we as citizens we can also listen in and figure out exactly what happened right uh, something as simple as that but instead the 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 institution of like policing in America they they protect these officers and there was a video that was released of like it was like 30 or 40 police officers outside of um, the officer Derek I'm just going to call him Chauvin or whatever. There was like 30 officers outside of his home protecting his home, right? Now, the five officers who were there, not one of them even thought to protect George Floyd, but 30 officers are outside of this home of this murderer protecting him. Where's the accountability there? And and again, the other officers, they're not even being mentioned anymore. Like no one's even asking about them anymore. Uh, they're being swept underneath the rug. Uh, so there's just no accountability here. Uh, we know that we're obviously still in the, in the middle of COVID-19. So instead of holding these officers accountable, you know, the, the powers that be would rather protests and demonstrations and riots across the country, potentially spreading COVID-19 even further. They would rather have all of this violence and destruction and property damage over holding these officers accountable. That just goes to show you where uh, uh, in society, where police officers are held over like your everyday citizen. They are, they're put way above us. Um, and the only way to, uh, address that issue like you know we can't address it peacefully we we tried that right colin kaepernick took a knee peacefully protested in what happened yeah. donald trump called him despicable uh mike pence you know walked out of the stadium during a Colts game because another player took a knee so obviously peaceful protests don't work peaceful demonstrations don't work um social media posts don't work we've tried petitions uh, we've tried sit-ins we've tried silent marches uh we've tried everything under the under under the sun so there comes a point where you're only action is to meet and respond to violence with violence, right? That's unfortunate, but sometimes that is necessary. And that's what we're seeing now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and say like that. I, I, uh, I think that's what you said is hundred percent true. Right. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think that that's like 
in order to enact true change, I don't necessarily know, especially in our society as it's built today, I don't know if that's necessarily the way that you can enact true change, but I understand clearly the, the, uh, the inevitable, uh, inevitable, uh, circumstance of it. Right. Like I understand like, yeah, like if, if, if people are telling you, Hey, this is a fucked up situation that's happening to us. People are shooting, people are killing us. Uh, and when we say people, we mean the cops specifically, um, when you have that scenario and it goes unheard, yeah, like what do you, what, what the fuck do you think is going to happen eventually? Like, of course it's going to turn to yeah. violence eventually because you, yeah. you're, 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 you're saying that, oh, the cops don't have to fucking follow the law, right? Like the, the cops can just uh, kill people with impunity, right? Like, okay, fine. If, if that's the case, then we're going to do the same fucking thing, right? And so it, it, it's like, yeah, this whole situation is kind of inevitable if people keep turning deaf ears to it. So if you find yourself, if you're a person right now, and I and I don't and I, and I don't mean this in a like an aggressive way, or I don't mean it in a in a in a, but just look, just just listen for a second. Perhaps in just saying your usual fucking line about you know, hey, uh, you know, uh, it doesn't just happen to black people, or um, stop looting and burning things, or uh, whatever the fuck it is, right? Maybe just maybe this time. Try, try to fucking actually listen to people and and open your and see in that you know in, in the video, see uh, what's actually fucking going on here because there's a problem. There's clearly a problem with that, right? If you don't have a problem with that, okay, well then we know we know where you stand and 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 it is what it is. But uh, but you know for anybody out there who doesn't claim to be oh I'm not racist or I'm not this or I'm not that, um, but you don't you can't look at that video and tell me that that's a fucked up situation, right? Uh, that shouldn't be allowed by any stretch of the imagination. And, and that officer should, that off the, all those officers should have immediately been taken into custody and, 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 and uh, held until they, they, they do see their day in court. Um, and then, you know, on top of that, they should a hundred percent, all of them should go to jail, you know, because everybody's complicit there. You know, the, the officers yeah. on the side who, who, uh, who aren't doing shit about what's going on. Um, they 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 need to be held accountable too because this whole bullshit about like oh good cops um okay well that's where good cops get you good cops sit on the sideline while other cops just do some fucking uh some 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 thug ass shit you know um and 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 and, and to address that really quickly i feel like the officer who in the video the i believe he's the asian officer um his name is uh um, should I had it written down somewhere, but I didn't i don't have my notepad with me uh so that i i guarantee you that officer considers himself one of the good cops, sure. right? And and one of the other officers that was caught kneel that was like recorded kneeling on uh, George Floyd's back. I guarantee you, some of those cops consider themselves good cops. Uh, the issue is, the good cops are not always good, and the good cops. Uh, unfortunately, don't always hold the bad cops accountable. So I, I, I'm kind of tired of hearing that, uh, you know, not all cops are bad bullshit, because though that may be true, the good cops are not standing against the bad cops. They're not standing on the side of, of justice here. What they're doing is they're just perpetuating the system of, of injustice. Yeah. So until we see these good cops really start to stand up against the bad cops and really start to stand for, um, you know, what their badge and their uniform is supposed to be represent. I'm, I'm done hearing that like good cop, bad cop shit. Yeah. Um, also, uh, yet again, we see blue lives matter and all lives matter, right? Yeah. And um, those platforms only ever show up in response to black lives matter. Yeah. Uh, so if you're one of those all lives matter people, 
here's something you need to know about yourself is you're a part of the problem. You are not at all a part of the actual, um, you're, you're not a part of positivity. You're not a part of change. If I say black lives matter and you tell me, no, all lives matter. Well, where's your proof, right? Show me historical proof that all lives truly do matter. Or are you just saying it because it makes you feel better about yourself in some way, right? You, if you're going to tell, if you're going to say all lives matter, then you say that by showing proof and then in your actions. Like, if all lives matter, that means Black lives matter. So your response to that shouldn't be no, all lives matter. Your response to that should be yes, Black lives matter, yeah. White lives matter, Asian lives matter, uh, uh, Latino lives matter. Right? Your response should be yes, and you should show that through action and through solidarity, not you know, in, in opposition of, of the movement. So uh, again, you know, if you're an all lives matter person, if you're a blue lives matter person, um, maybe your intentions are good, but at the end of the day, you are a part of the bigger problem. Historically, when the story is told, you will have sided with the oppressors. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, so to wrap this up, I'll, I'll say the line, um, you can go on ignoring the problems that are happening um, but just, uh, just remember that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, we're almost at midnight and the natives are restless, uh, tonight. So, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, take that a a as you may. Um, but, uh, but yeah, if you keep on ignoring a problem, that's clearly evident. Um, when, when trouble comes to your door, you can't say that people didn't warn you that <laughs> you should have done something prior to it. So, yeah. uh, so yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll move forward here. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, it goes, I think it, it, it goes without saying, but clearly we have to say it anyways, is, um, you know, rest in peace, uh, George Floyd. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll move forward with the, the show here. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to reset after, <laughs> after that. Uh, but we will nonetheless. Uh, and, um, and so, yeah, uh, our next story, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, Scorsese, uh, Scorsese and DiCaprio, uh, uh, coming into a bag, uh, from, uh, from Apple. Uh, so we have a story here and this is, uh, this is from, uh, Bazinga, uh, apparently, um, the Scorsese, uh, movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, and Robert uh, De Niro will be branded as an Apple original film, according to the Wall Street Journal. The movie is based on a nonfiction bestseller by David Grant uh, dealing uh, with events in the 20th century Oklahoma when members of the oil rich Osage, Osage uh, Nation Native Americans were serially uh, murdered. Killing of the Flower Moon suffered uh, uh, from budgetary overruns with costs in excess uh, of uh, 200 million um and uh viacom cbs uh which owns uh, paramount studios uh they, they were the ones who were producing the film um but uh but they were basically like no like we we, we can't shoot this for fucking 200 million are you fucking crazy martin's crazy uh and so uh so they eventually uh you know had to go through rewrites and things like that in order to try to maybe make it a little less uh and then you know uh by uh as luck would have it apple stepped in and said well you know front that bill for 200 m's because you know we just got a line around it's uh, that's nothing to us you know so uh so yeah we're, we're gonna get uh the film from uh from scorsese and dicaprio as well as de niro uh you know coming uh coming coming sometime soon um yeah what, what do you what do you think about this this uh this bit of news 
Yeah. So, I mean, uh, when I read this article, there's a lot of like interesting things that, that were highlighted in this article. Um, uh, and I forget whether it was like in the article that you'd mentioned or the Hollywood reporter or, or someone kind of like on the inside of this project uh, had said a quote along the lines of um, keeping Martin Scorsese in check and on budget is almost nearly impossible. Um, so what the executives at Paramount did is like when Scorsese, when the initial budget was somewhere around 200 million, what they tried to do was uh, get that pared down to like $150 million, right? Because while Scorsese wants to produce a great film and to produce a great film, you may have to spend the money. Uh, Paramount Pictures, their concern is like a return on the investment, right? You don't want to spend 200 million just to make back 220. That, that investment really doesn't make sense. Um, you know, Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio, it seems like a sure thing. It seems like, you know, you know, if you spend 200 million on this film, you're going to make that money back. And some, the story behind this film sounds great. I think this is going to be a, just another uh, really great project under uh, Scorsese's belt. But I understand the hesitation from Paramount Pictures in approving $200 million, right? Because if, if Martin Scorsese gets approved for 200 million, he's more probably going to spend more like 220 230 right um however apple with uh those infinity pockets that apple has very deep uh they're able to step into a project like this and 200 million dollars on a film for apple um is nothing and and you know it, it's well worth the investment because what it buys you is a, is some credibility uh a Martin Scorsese original film on your platform with uh, an actor to the caliber of Leonardo DiCaprio, that now puts you in a different conversation, uh, the, 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 the Netflix conversations, right? Where you're having these huge, um, well-known directors come to your platform to produce original films, um, the high quality films, like theatrical style films, again, on your platform. Uh, for Apple, it's worth the investment. I understand why Paramount Pictures didn't uh, uh, didn't leap at this project. Yeah. Uh, yes. It's not a, it's not a giant mystery. Why, uh, why Paramount didn't, um, didn't, and, and if I'm not mistaken, I think they're still, they're still, they're still part of the project. Uh, it's just that Apple's essentially fronting the bill, unless I'm mistaken. I might be wrong about that, but you know, who knows? Um, uh, no, no, I think that's right. So like um, Scorsese has had a deal with like Paramount Pictures for quite some time as like uh, where Paramount Pictures, I believe like they've distributed his films, but they haven't always been a part of financing his yeah, films. Yeah. Uh, so there was the movie uh, Hugo, there was Wolf of Wall Street, as well as the movie Silence to where Paramount Pictures, again, they didn't finance it. They just uh, um, uh, distributed it in other like uh companies finance the films and unfortunately what they found is like some of those companies actually took a loss on a few of these films i think like hugo um financially was not like a huge didn't have a huge return on the investment as well as silence we know that wolf of wall street did really well in theaters had a, a pretty good return on the investment um really interesting backstory behind how that film was financed it was actually financed with like um really really dirty corrupt money um to so it was like the president of uh, uh, Singapore, I believe his name is, uh, God, I forget his name. It's like Raj, Raj, uh, I forget his name. But anyway, the former president of Singapore had created this, uh, uh, company called like, uh, one MDB and they have, they ultimate, and they partnered with Goldman and Sachs to create these, like, um, 
just really like bullshit revenue streams, right? To where they were able to get like a billion, $2 billion in investment. That was ultimately that, mo I think $700 million of that money just went into the president's private accounts and his wife would spend like $100 million on a shopping weekend in China. Uh, and then his nephew used some of that money that they, uh, kind of like embezzled through this fake company in Singapore, 1MDB, to finance the Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, there's even like pictures with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and the nephew of the former president of Singapore um, at the release. So like that whole film has dirty money tied to it. And it's funny based on the premise of the film. Uh, so you know, Paramount has skated from financing some of the more risky projects that Scorsese has done and just distributed those films. And I think this might just be another one of those films. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, hopefully this isn't <laughs> this isn't financed with dirty money. Uh, well, as far as Apple's concerned, hopefully they're <laughs> they're on the up and up with, uh, with with their funds. You know, hopefully they're not doing anything too well. Well, no, we know Apple's dirty money. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It definitely, definitely built off the uh, the back of uh, you know uh, essentially slave labor, uh, labor, and yeah, um, and so, uh, so yeah, uh, we've got that to look forward. The the killing of the flower moon from Scorsese. That's going to have a pretty, and I want to see how this looks because it's not like this is like a it's not like it's like a sci fi movie or anything like that. So it's kind of wild that it's got a budget of two hundred million dollars when. It's not really, or at least ideally, I guess it shouldn't be a kind of a CGI intensive, you know, uh, space odyssey or some shit. But who knows what the fuck we're going to get from Scorsese. Maybe he's trying to do some different shit. I don't know. Um, yeah. So uh, with that, we will uh, we will move forward to our uh, next story. S some more Apple news. Um, so <laughs> here's the funny thing, right? It's like whenever you see someone, like if you see someone across the street, and they're selling like it's a hot summer day, right? And they're selling uh, like ice cream or snow cones or lemonade, right? And you see that like they've got a line around the block and they're doing well, right? Cash is coming in. What do you do? What's the smart thing for you to do to set up your own ice cream lemonade stand on your block, right? And start to get a little bit of that that summertime money too. That's exactly what Apple did here. So. Uh, you know, five weeks ago, ESPN uh, launched the, um, the the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, mm -hmm. right? And I mean, ratings through the fucking roof. Uh, every weekend, like 15, 16 million people were tuned into this. Um, so Apple, I mean, you gotta, you, you gotta kind of like, you know, not necessarily steal some of that thunder, but you got to capitalize on the moment. Uh, so recently, Apple announced uh, the greatest, uh, the greatness code, which is going to be a docu-series featuring Tom Brady, uh, TB12. Uh, um, and I think this might also be uh, under the production of this might also be under Tom Brady's production company. I think it's like uh, 199 Productions or something like that. Mm. Uh, which is dope because I think he was like the 199th pick or something like that in the NFL draft. Yeah. Or was he like the 99th pick? I thought he was like number 60 something, wasn't he? Or no, am I wrong? No, it was like, it was either 199 or like 99. Yeah. One of those. Um, but anyway, so again, this is going to, and I think Tom Brady's production company is going to be uh, uh, involved in this as well. And it's also going to feature uh, King James, uh, Goat James. 
as a one Shannon Sharp would refer to him as. And uh, I believe his production company is going to be a part of this project as well. So the uh, greatness code is really going to focus on Tom Brady and LeBron James and like what goes well, into. Bec- so it's actually going to it's it's going to be a, a full like season of uh, uh, for the for the. Uh, for the show and it's going to have uh, I think about six athletes uh, Brady as well as LeBron James being a part of them but they're also going to do stories about Olympic gold medalist uh, and co-captain of the U.S. women's uh, national soccer team Alex Morgan uh, world's fastest man and eight-time Olympic champion Usain Bolt uh, five-time Olympic gold medalist and 15-time world champion uh, swimmer um, Katie uh, Ledke Ledecky, I guess is uh, how you pronounce it, an 11 time world mm-hmm. champion surfer, Kelly uh, Slater. Um, so, uh, Greatness Code is uh, is a production between, yeah, you're right, like a whole shit ton of, you know, um, of production companies, uh, but, but the chief of which is um, uh, Religion of Sports, uh, as well as uh, uh, Tom Brady and I guess his uh, 191 Productions or, uh, you know, uh, whatever you, you called it. Uh, and then uh, also, uh, surprisingly enough, um, uh, Michael Strahan um, is also co-producing this as well um, and uninterrupted. Um, and so, so yeah, this is going to be uh, kind of a, a, a nice venture. And you're completely right that, hey, you got to strike while the fucking iron is hot, right? Like you can't, you know, uh, this whole, oh, should we, shouldn't we? Are we just copying? Are we we no, should. Just do it. <laughs> as Nike would say, just do it. Um and so, and oh, and what a way to stoke the flames, right? So you've got this MJ documentary, which was uh, um, featured on ESPN, um, and a lot of people had mixed feelings about it, right? Some people thought it was like hey, this just proves that MJ was a goat. Uh, a lot of people watched it and they just said, well, this just proves that. Um, the Bulls back in the day, all they did was complain. Michael Jordan was a star of the NBA. He got a lot of calls that a lot of other players wouldn't, and a lot of favoritism that other players didn't get. Um, and it, and he pretty much just lied the entire entire documentary and essentially play, placed the blame on everybody around him and didn't really take any of the blame for himself. Uh, so there's a lot of like controversy on, on how people receive that documentary. Uh, so yeah, you got to strike while the iron's hot. Apple, Apple's like, yo, we got a, we got a Tom Brady docu coming for we, we, we got a LeBron James documentary coming for you. We got some Kate, uh, Katie Morgan coming for you. Alex um, Morgan. Alex Morgan. Sorry. <laughs> it was Katie Ledke and Alex Morgan. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, you got to strike while the iron's hot. And um, I'm really, I think people are going to be really, really, people are going to be excited for the Tom Brady stuff, but people are going to want to see the LeBron James story because of what the MJ story told. Yeah. Um, but but here's, so, here's the thing is, is that they've got to make it juicy, right? Like somehow I believe, stupid. yeah, I, I believe that if they came out with the Tom Brady or Michael Jordan or my, um, Michael Jordan, uh, LeBron James, um, kind of like a docu-series kind of thing. Um, it's going to be like a lot of like, for the most part, kind of like fluff, like shit that, because they're both fairly private. You know, I would say LeBron, uh, maybe less than Brady, but Brady's, you know, gone out of his way to be super private with like just real shit, right? Um, and especially playing for the Patriots all those years, it was kind of like everything was always just a lot under lock and key as far as like any sort of drama or anything like that. Um, so it's like what people love about the MJ doc is he's just letting it fly right or wrong. He's just, you know, they're just letting the shit out there, you know, about all the like the underneath stuff that we're all just like, oh, that's interesting, you know. Um, and so uh, and so, yeah, 
yeah, just cut loose and stop trying to like hold to this like precious like image of yourself of, oh no, there's no drama in my life. No, give us the dirt, you know, uh, this is what yeah. we want. And now that Tom Brady is not a New England Patriot anymore, right? We know that he's in Tampa Bay. He's a Buccaneer. Um, so I think now he can he really has the space to talk about some of the things that happened in New England. Um, the shit that people want to hear about is like, Tom, you know, was it you or was it Bill Belichick? Like, who really was it? And I think now, at least what I hope is that Tom Brady is going to be able to be a little bit more honest. No, and like, Hey, not. like, you know. I don't think so either, but I hope I'm wrong. And I hope Tom is, is going to be a little bit more outspoken and say, Hey, you know, like, I, I, I think that, um, it, 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 you know, a lot of that organization, a lot of the winning that happened was like me, and this is what I did to contribute, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see LeBron tackle some of the, uh, the, the goat conversation too. Um, yeah, well, I, I know LeBron has said that he's not like, you know, he's not really, he doesn't really care about that. He's focused on other things, but, you know, I'd love to see some of it, some of it respond to like the MJ documentary, right? Like, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, I don't know. I think it's going to be really interesting and it's going to tell several different stories. That's the most interesting part to me. Yeah. Uh, the only way I'd find that interesting is if, uh, if LeBron was like, uh, at the end of this documentary, I'm going to challenge Jordan to a one-on-one basketball game right now. And let's see the, the whoever wins. Wins the goat card. <laughs> That's the only way where I'd find that interesting. But <laughs> yo, if if we had a time, if like a time machine was real, right? <laughs> Is that what we would do with it? We wouldn't. <laughs> we I, wouldn't do I, anything else but make LeBron James <laughs> and Michael Jordan in his prime play each other. Uh, if we could do three things, it would probably be like sink Christopher Columbus's ship. <laughs> just fuck fuck all of them. Um, uh, maybe go back to like. Would we be here uh, in America though if if Christopher Columbus didn't quote unquote discover America? Nah, if I, we would be happy in <laughs> Nigeria and Congo, and uh, you know we'd have uh, South Africa back for, <laughs> from the colonizers. Yeah. Where would I be right now? I'd be in Cameroon. I think yeah. that's. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a place in Africa I've always wanted to visit. Cameroon. Oh, you wouldn't be Congo. able to like just go and be like, "Yeah, I choose to be in Cameroon." You'd be wherever. You know, no, but it would be like uh, it would be like um, Wakanda, <laughs> right? Because we would be held oppressed by like uh, Christianity and and colonization. Well, that might actually it would still be the a thing because you know uh, you know it's more than just America. It'd be like you know the the British colonies and shit that were that were set up. Uh, but uh, yeah, conversation for another day. With that, yeah. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's press forward here. Um, so let's uh, jump to our next story, which is a very fucking interesting story. Because, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are here. We have arrived. What the fuck am I talking about? We have arrived at a very, very critical moment in this whole streaming war situation. This whole. Um, theaters being viable scenario or we have gotten to a point that is a turning point um so as you know uh there's been sort of this uh or maybe you don't know i have no idea but uh there's been sort of this uh (laughs) this this sort of swell for hey why don't we just change over to basically everything going to video on demand like we're in this coronavirus era where you know it's you know it's 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 questionable whether you should go out and do shit um and even after you know you know right now we're entering a new phase where now we're starting to open things back up and and but people are still a little skeptical like hey should we still kind of take it easy and not be in a rush to go back out there 
So there's this swell of, hey, why don't we just not not have uh, theatrical releases, but release everything VOD or possibly do both, right? Release movies in theaters as well as releasing them on demand, right? So you could just watch them at home as soon as they come out. Um, and uh, and I remember AMC, right? It was a big thing that they basically chastised uh, Universal. Uh, yep. You know, don't you do it. Don't you release, you know, these things on on demand and try to release them in theaters as well. Uh, otherwise, and that's we'll when uh, your shit, you know, um, that's, that's when Universal had released Trolls, Trolls um, yeah, on Trolls demand. Trolls 2, yeah, or big film, Trolls yep. Worldwide uh, tr- Tour, or whatever the fuck it's Worldwide called. Worldwide Tour, yeah. yep. Uh, and so I'm actually going to reference that a little later on when we, uh, when we get to it. But we've arrived at this very fucking interesting moment because at first it was like, oh, AMC got out there and then uh, Regal got out there and we're like, man, don't do that fuck shit of, you know, releasing shit on demand. And my question at the time was, okay, you can say that's a universal because all they've really got is what, uh, Fast and Furious? And you're like, look, I can do without a Fast and Furious 9 or yeah. whatever the fuck number they're at. Um, and they had uh, James Bond, right? Uh, no, Universal does not have Bond. Uh, that is, I think that's still MGM as well as, um, I want to say Sony, but that might be wrong too. Right. Um, but I, I, don't th- I definitely don't think it's Universal. But anyways, um, uh uh, so but my question at the time was, okay, but what if you get one of the big dogs, you know, and Universal clearly is a big dog, but uh, what if you get one of the bigger dogs uh, to come out and say, yeah, we might do this whole uh, video on demand thing. And I was like, what if Disney came out and said it? And sure as fuck, here we are. <laughs> uh, we got word this uh, this past week. This comes from, uh, comes to us from Deadline. I'll just read to you some of the article here. Um Disney may opt to kill the theatrical release uh, run for uh, Mulan, uh, according to Wall Street analyst uh, Michael Nathanson. Uh, Mulan, a budget, uh, a big budget live action remake of the Disney animated film, is a looming issue for the company, which took in 13 billion in global box office in 2019. If the film collects uh, even 50% of the 1 billion many recent uh, Disney tempo films have. Um, it will be a freaking home run, uh, says uh, Nathanson. Um, so basically, like the summary of the thing that he's trying to say here is that it it actually would benefit Disney right now, actually, if they did release Mulan on uh, demand versus having it uh, released in theaters. Because in theaters, you'd have to expect that there's going to be a, a tempered expectation for the film, right? That the film's just not going to do as well as it would have done if it, you know, we hadn't didn't have coronavirus and, you know, half the fucking world was on fire right now. Um, and so, uh, so he says that it would actually be a benefit to their stock if, you know, and that's what all these companies are about, is about measuring their stock and, you know, what's going on with that. But what if they announce that, hey, we're going to release this on demand, and then that would ex- create excitement around, oh, shit, Disney's doing something a little different. They're, 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 they're taking a new avenue, you know, um, uh, trying to prepare for life after COVID, you know, um, and that might help them out financially maybe more in the short term than in the long run, but who knows? It might actually help him out long term as well. Um, so, uh, so, so yeah. And then, and, and what he says is that they essentially use trolls world tour um, as sort of a precedent for, you know, Oh, Hey, you have this release that we're going to release uh, on demand and it can still do very well, you know? Um, and you think, and, and, and what, what has always been my, my, um, the the thing that I've always sort of maintained is is that okay, Trolls World Tour nobody really gives a shit about that, right? I'm sure some family people want to watch that. Great, but what happens when you take one of the biggest films of 
to be released, uh, a big budget film that is one of the tentpole films, and you release that on demand. Well, now we're at a point of no return. Now it's not about, oh, should everything be on demand? Now it's a matter of when is everybody going to make their shit available on demand um, instead of just doing a theatrical run? Not saying that it's not going to be in theaters, but that they're also going to release it on demand. If Mulan gets, make no mistake about this, hear me now, quote me later. If Mulan gets released on demand, movie theaters are done. It's a wrap. <laughs> it's a fucking wrap, dude. Like, and. Close and say one more time. No, I was going to say, they're going to have to start closing up shops, start leasing yeah, like. So, so, so the thing is, I don't think they would actually have to close up shop necessarily. Not necessarily. Because we just got, like, we, we just got news that Amazon is actually looking into buying, like, AMC, for instance, right? What I think it, what I think might happen is that they might get bought out, but they're going to have to change their model of how they think of releases. They're going to have to in order to be even remotely a viable uh, operation, right? Um, that if all of these, you know, and, and make no mistake, as soon as um, Disney does this, which Disney is arguably the biggest, not arguably, definitely the biggest um, uh, film studio right now uh, in the world. Um, if they release their, their film online, everybody else is going to do the same eventually, right? They're, they're just going to have yeah. to in order to keep pace. Um, so there's definitely going to be a domino effect here. I mean, if uh, Disney releases Mulan on VOD, then I think what happens next is like Black Widow gets released on VOD. Wonder Woman gets released on VOD. Uh, um, uh, no Time to Die, the, the the next Bond film, which I think they're, they push back to November, yeah. uh, gets released on VOD. They may even be able to bump that up, right, and release it sooner. Um, and, and to your point, uh, the movie theaters are going to have to change their model. They're going to have to change uh, the nature of their business. They're going to have to really go back to the drawing board and think like, how do we survive, right? Survive first. And then like, all right, now can this new model thrive? Um, and then you got players coming in like Amazon. That's like thinking of buying AMC. Like if, you know, if you're really concerned with like the investors, right? Investors are probably like, hey, like do whatever the fuck we need to do to get my money back mm -hmm. to where it used to be, right? Um, so maybe selling to Amazon is the best bet. But then if you sell to Amazon, how does that change the nature of the industry when you look at like films coming out of uh, Disney and, and you know, all these other distribution and production studios, right? Um, if Amazon owns a, one of the biggest movie theater chains. So uh, it's going to be a really interesting domino effect. We got to see like where the, uh, where the dominoes fall. But I think, I think Disney has the, when you, on Disney plus, right. They have the platform and they have the subscribers. Yo, it, uh, it actually makes perfect fucking sense for them to do it. Right. Like, in terms of it's one of the biggest their biggest releases of the year they are wholly unsure what the film's going to do in theaters if they release it in theaters right now and then on, on top of that again they have kind of a little bit of a precedent with trolls world tour of course it's a different vibe right like you know trolls world tour uh world tour doesn't really compare to like a, a live action mulan movie right um they're, they're not the same thing but at the same time there's at least something to say that hey there might be success here um the time has never been better for them to experiment with this. And trust me when I say, like I said, if they release Mulan uh, on demand versus maybe they release it at the same time that they release, uh, uh, they release it in theaters. Oh, we're this whole conversation is over. Yeah. Uh, about yeah. if this is going to happen. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think that this is a, this is one of those moments that's like, okay, this is it. This is the moment that, that everybody's been sort of anticipating uh, might happen. And if this goes down that way, yeah, 
uh, we're, we're looking at a completely different landscape. Yeah. And I think like with a, v- a video on demand, Disney could do some really cool things here. They could have like a, um, like a back-to-back showing, right? Like if you order the, um, you know, Mulan, the, the newest Mulan film, like you, you'll watch the original Mulan film and then that will like lead right into like the launch of the eight of the, uh, of the newest Mulan film. Like they can package it up really neatly. You can tie merchandise to it. They can do a lot of different things with like a digital release than they would be able to do in movie theaters. Yeah. And they're not having to share that revenue with, um, you know, with the theaters. Yeah, well, that's what theaters are clearly going to hate. But uh, it's kind of like what we were talking about uh, earlier, right? Uh, in terms of um, having the movie theaters start thinking a, a lot more out of the box as far as like how they can start adapting to sort of the changing circumstance. And one of the brilliant things that you brought up uh, was uh, was perhaps they should do things like partner up with like maybe Uber or, or, um, uh, or, or um, like DoorDash, uh, DoorDash or, Grubhub. or uh, Grubhub, things like that, um, in order to create this, this, this more immersive experience from your home, right? So like if you ordered Mulan through, like let's say, amc's app right you would not only get the on-demand movie that you can watch at home but then you can also order food and then it'll arrive you know and then it can they can just like build an entire thing around it but they have to start doing something up because it's not a question of if this will happen it's a question of when it's going to happen right like I love going to the theaters, right but I'm not blind to the fact that yeah like sometimes for depending on the movie I don't want to go to a movie. I would be perfectly fine sitting on my ass on my couch watching the movie on my TV, right? Um, so yeah, it, I mean, <laughs> and here's one of the biggest changes uh, I think for a lot of people, right? Like going to the movies was an experience, but like let's say you take a girl out to the movies on a date, right? Uh, the time from the time the, the time from like the movie ending to getting her back to your place was always very difficult. A lot could happen in that time. She could she could want to go home, but if she's already at the crib, then you know, <laughs> Yo, Jesus. All right, <laughs> we'll, we'll be breeze past that. This is a. Uh, uh, somewhat of a family-friendly podcast, I think. <laughs> uh, just kidding. We never claim to be anything of such. Waiting for you to catch on to see what you do. Like, Holy shit. What does he say? <laughs> mute him. Mute him. <laughs> um, but yeah, but this is uh, this is huge news, uh, and 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 it doesn't. Um, it, it, it's right now. I think it's like the biggest story right now, as far as the fate of the the theaters. Right. Um, yeah, I can't. Uh, and again, because of the position that uh, Disney's sitting in, in terms of like, look, they've got a lot of shit to worry about, right? Like they've got their theme parks that um, they're they're clearly losing a shit ton of money, and they will probably continue to lose money on their theme parks because yeah. uh, they're not going to be like just because shit is opening back up doesn't mean that they're going to be able to go to full capacity with you know their their parks and shit. Um, and yeah. their experience, the the whole thing that they've built is like the live in person experience, right? And what happens when they're no longer able to do that? They're going to have to find out different ways to maximize whatever revenues that they've got coming in. So perhaps releasing Milan in theaters when it's questionable about if it's going to do any numbers might be at least one uh, one avenue of doing that. So yeah, uh, I, I'm you know uh, w- w- with no pun intended. Uh, except for all the pun is in, actually intended. Uh, I'm going to be sitting back with popcorn watching what the fuck goes on in this scenario because it's very fucking interesting what, what's going to happen. And, and I'll even throw this in as well. Uh, coronavirus has reset the market when it comes to film releases. Like, no more, especially in theaters, are we thinking about billion-dollar films, at least for, like, the, the next few years. 
there's there's not going to be another billion dollar film. I guarantee you that's that's true. In its entire luckily, James Cameron already has like that investment, right? Um, no, no, no. I, I don't. I don't mean how much it's going to cost. I mean how much it's going to make revenue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I can't. yeah. There's going to be a long time before we see that. And and if if there's not, maybe everything goes back to normal. And you know they they you know uh, um, whether it's Mulan, Tenet, or whatever, uh, or maybe even one of the Avatar films once they drop, um, maybe they might make a billy. But I fucking doubt it. It's. Probably, I'd be I'd be surprised. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's move on to our final uh, story here um, of the day. Um, so let's talk about, uh, we, we, uh, you know, it's, it's been a long time, you know, that, that, that since we've done this, uh, but, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the segment that you've loved, that you cared about, that you've always desired is fucking back. Ladies and gentlemen, we have another press play for you, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Yeah, so we have a good one today too. Um, oh, excellent. Uh, excellent. We're, we're going to share some thoughts here. This is going to be a good yeah, one for sure. I, th- I think we have, uh, it's going to be a good one because we, we have some differing thoughts in terms of, uh, in, in terms of the, the film itself, but we press play on the film. I'm no longer here, which is a Netflix film that just came out this past week. Um, although I think the movie's from 2019, uh, cause I think it had like a, a festival circuit run. Um, but, uh, Netflix bought it up and, and it premiered to everybody in mass uh, on Netflix uh, this past week. Uh, So let me give you the quick synopsis of the film here. Uh, In Monterey, Mexico, a young street gang spends their days dancing to a slow down uh, uh, Kumba, uh, Cumbia, Cumbia. I believe it's pronounced Cumbia, uh, and attending parties. Uh, After a mix-up with a local cartel, their leader is forced to migrate to the U.S., but quickly longs to return home. Uh, The uh, credits for this, um, it was directed by uh, Fernando Frias Frias, uh, and also written by him as well. And... Uh, and, and yeah, so let, let's, uh, let's jump in just like we usually do with the press play. Let's talk about, uh, let's, t- let's start with the plot. Uh, what did you, what did you think of the plot of the film? Uh, so I thought this plot was, um, it, it, it was really interesting in, in how like music played a huge part in the storyline of this film, right? Uh, again, the film is about these kids who are like, kind of like, uh, addicted to this uh, cumbia style of music um, follows the journey of one particular uh, young man who is uh, an actor by the name of uh, Juan Daniel Garcia Trevino, who plays Eusilius, U- uh, Ulysses, I believe. Um, and it, it follows his journey in Mon- I believe they're in like Monterey, Mexico, and uh, he gets involved in like some type of gang. Uh, war not at his own fault but uh, and as a part of that he has to leave Monterey, mexico and travel to the u.s where he goes on a series of journeys from there and uh ends up kind of like finding his way back to Monterey, right and, and becoming a new person along those lines uh, i thought it was like just an interesting very like little uh micro uh micro journey into like one person's experience like one young man's experience in life as a teenager um i didn't I, I, there, there were some like plot. There were some holes in the plot for me, um, mm-hmm. but overall, I just thought it was like a, I, I love films that just explore one person's journey through uh, like a moment in their life, and it, it really dives into like the small nuances and the small decisions that they make and the things that happen, which uh, 
which have like a great impact on the way that their life goes. Like that one moment that could change everything for you. And this is one of those films. Yeah. What, uh, what, what plot holes did you, uh, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I'm just curious as to like what plot holes that you. Jesus Christ. You're going to put me on the spot like this. Um, so one of the things that I was, I was just, I didn't understand, um, or that I wish they detailed out more was his journey from Monterey, Mexico to like New York city. Like, Mm where how did he get to new york i know his like his mother had a family friend who like helped him escape but like why new york like, you know did he have family there did they just have a connection there because he just went from monterey mexico to the streets of new york mm-hmm. and like we weren't sure where in new york brooklyn harlem the bronx well, it did say i think it did say queens at some point it was in queens oh, i may have yeah. missed that but like again why new york why not uh texas uh, like one of the major cities in texas los angeles something that like regionally would seem a little bit uh closer to mexico like how the fuck did he get to new york how the fuck did he get back well he got deported uh, i think was uh, true how that uh, how that ended up but uh but uh i actually agree and disagree to at the same time i think that one of the things about this particular film is that it uh it did a couple of things really, really well. And then it did a couple of things kind of um, not that well. Right. Uh, the first thing that I, I would say that it didn't do so well is orientation that it kind of played kind of like a uh, Quentin Tarantino movie of like, it played around with the timeline. It, it reminded me of like, maybe like something like Pulp Fiction, right. Where, you know, you're dealing with different timelines, you know, but they don't, they don't go out of their way to explain to you what timeline you're in at the present moment in time you kind of just have to like realize oh this is where i'm at you know based off of like trying to calculate it yourself basically of like what uh you know what is he wearing what does he look like um who is he talking to um which i don't i think can be a little disorienting um for a viewer uh to try to figure out exactly where you're where you're at and what the timeline is right and i think that the, the timeline for this film is back in like 2000 like the early 2010s i think it's uh i saw there's some like pictures from like 2011 that i uh, got flashed on the screen and so i think that puts the actual specific time period on it but in terms of literally figuring out as you're watching the movie where you're at because it kind of time jumps um both forwards and backwards uh, a, a lot um and yeah that's one of the things i think was was not done very well uh is to make it distinct what timeline you're ever in um but one of the things i think it did extremely well is that this this is basically like a story about like an illegal immigrant that's essentially what this what this story is about right um and it does such a fucking beautiful job in depicting his life without being sort of like this heavy handed, oh, you know, uh, doing fucked up shit to like illegal immigrants is is terrible and you shouldn't do it and yada, yada. Uh, it, it doesn't it's not heavy handed at all. It's very kind of it's just taking you through his journey, you know, um, and, uh, and and so in some ways, the the time jumps are like welcomed because of that. Right. That that allows you to be able to sort of tell this story sort of like not in sequential order, but in an order that sort of makes sense, but it's just not always clear exactly where you actually stand. And I think that's one of the faults of it. But the thing that they're trying to say, I think is, is absolutely phenomenal in terms of the, the story that they're trying to tell. Um, and, and so, uh, and so I definitely like uh, appreciated that, um, very much uh that uh but at that at the end of the day that this is story this is the story of an illegal immigrant and you develop so much empathy for uh for ulysses um 
and it, it's uh you know it, it it was very sort of interesting to sort of see the inner dynamics of you know the people that he comes uh, that he interacts with and uh and, and also this uh the, the the dancing as well was uh uh was something you know i, I think when you first see the, like the trailer for it or you first see some pictures of it you have a kind of a you're you're not too sure exactly what direction the, the movie's going to go in but then when you jump into it you understand what's what's going on like uh so for instance like they're you know uh they're part of this gang called the uh turcos i believe uh, yeah tracos i believe tracos yeah um and uh and so they uh what they would do is you know have this music that's like slowed down it's all these like classic i guess classic music uh that um that they would listen to in Mexico, um, but it's slowed down, you know, and, you know, the entire gang enjoys this music and they love dancing to it and they have a very specific way that they dance to it and they have a very specific way in which they dress. They have a very specific way in terms of like, how they uh, how they style their hair. Um, and so it's very fucking interesting to see all that and, and how it played out um, and, and, and what that world sort of looked like. And um, what I will say, and maybe I'll save this towards the end. I think I'll, I'll save that part of what I'm trying to say towards the end. But yeah, long story short, I enjoyed the plot. I thought it was very, very interesting in terms of seeing how Ulysses, uh, how he, uh, how what his life was like in Mexico versus what it was like here, uh, you know, in uh, in in Queens, um, and to see sort of how they juxtaposed both of those scenarios. Uh, I, I, I gotta agree with that 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 contrast between like Monterey, Mexico, and Queens. Like one in one environment, he was this happy kid who was like l- just listening to the music that he loved. He was enjoying his experiences, like childhood or his um, teenage years with his friends, um, and everything. Like despite living in an area in Mexico or in an environment that wasn't great, like they're still having a, uh, a great childhood experience, right? And this music was a big part of that. Um, and the contrast to that is his experience in in Queens, New York, where he's like living on the streets. He's, you know, finding food is not easy. Finding wor- um, work is not easy. When he does find work, he's like o- being overworked or underpaid. He's having to like find places to sleep and make money. So a very different experience. And to your point, that's the experience of like an illegal immigrant in this country. Um, and, 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 not of, and not all of them are here for like bad reasons, right? To like do crime and sell drugs. Some of them are escaping um, what yeah. could be death sentence but they and then they come here and then it's like they have no support system yeah and you know and obviously like it, it, it sometimes like you know I, I don't feel like i should use the term like illegal immigrant because it's just like yo when you see that somebody's just trying to escape like mayhem um from where they're at and just trying to like he just all the dude wants to do is just dance and listen to music. That's it. That's all he wants to do. Uh, and it, it just seems like every everything, like every at every corner, he's disallowed that, you know that that option, you know to 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 do that. Um, and uh, and so once you see that, you're like, you know, uh, to stop looking at people as just like, oh, you came here illegally, so fuck you. It's like, yo, he's trying to save his own life. Like, what would you do? <laughs> Like, you know, because uh, there, there was some like misunderstanding with the uh, the the gang in terms of like, I think the gang that he was a part of uh, thought that he set them up to be murdered. Um, and so uh, and so he basically had to uh, be, uh, like uh, be murdered by a rival gang. And so he basically basically just had to leave in order to save his life as well as potentially the life of his family. You know, yeah, um, that if he was around, perhaps things would be uh, a little more precarious for them, too. Um, and so. So, yeah, 
that's uh, that's our roundup of the uh, the plot. Let's jump into um, let's jump into the characters. Uh, you know, some of the, the likes and dislikes. I believe the casting by credit on this is Damian Garcia, uh, and uh, and so yeah, who, who's your who's your MVP? Who's your runner up? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I think my MVP for this film is I don't know by just because he's like the main character and it really follows his story. I, I think Juan Daniel Garcia Trevino, who plays Ulysses, I think like he would be my just MVP for this story just because um, I think he does such a great job at selling me his character. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at no point in this movie as I'm watching him, do I feel like this is an actor playing a character in a film. I feel like I'm watching this person's life experience. Um, and it, that never broke for me, even though this film's the majority of it is subtitles and you're like, you're reading it while trying to like follow his experiences. Uh, at no point in the film did I ever feel like he like broke character or, um, you know, his acting ability allowed me to like buy into the character very early on in the film. Uh, he's my runner up. Um, there were a lot of other people who are like, were in and out of this film for me, like characters who were there and then they weren't right. You know, like literally I'm no longer here. Um, Lynn, I thought their relationship was interesting, how like quickly it developed and like their, the friendship that they established. Um, and I was interested to see like where that went. Like, do they develop more of a relationship? Does she save him at some point in time? Um, but that never, it never like amounted to anything that the relationship just kind of ended and like her storyline um, just kind of ended abruptly, right? There was, there was no resolution to it. Um, so she would be like my runner up. Uh, but again, I think uh, Daniel, uh, or, sorry, Juan Daniel Garcia Trevino, I think he did a great job at like selling me the character from the beginning. I bought in and then you're able to just enjoy watching his experience from there. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, I would say that uh, for me, it was kind of um, uh, kind of a co- um, Co MVP uh, in that uh, I, I thought that uh, Juan Daniel Garcia uh, uh, Trevino um, I thought he did a fantastic job uh, in the film, just like you were saying. Uh, and yeah, there wasn't ever really a point where I was just like, "Oh, I feel like this dude's acting." I always felt like he was being genuine with you know uh, how he was depicting um, his character of uh, Ulysses. Um, uh, but uh, 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 yeah, and I'm gonna have I'm gonna struggle pronouncing her name. Um, but Jiming Angelina Chen, uh, who played Lin, um, she uh, she was fantastic as well. But when they it was like a Captain Planet moment where they when all powers combined, you know, it produced something magical. Uh, their scenes together were some of the funniest scenes. And I don't even know if it was necessarily meant to be funny, but uh, but just the awkward interactions between them, between this like over eager, uh, uh, and I don't I don't know how old she is. She, she, I think maybe she'd be like- She, she was uh, 16. She's she was 16, right? Okay. So, so this over eager, you know, teen who is, she's got, you know, she's always asking him questions and, you know, she's, um, she's trying to interact with them, but she doesn't understand what he's saying. And he's being super frank with her. Like, like I just told you, I don't speak English. (laughs) 
like you know with scenes like that i was like holy shit this is like hilarious you know because this is like a real world like scene where she's talking to him and she's just like hey i don't understand what you're saying and he's like yeah i know i just told you i don't speak english uh that's a very fucking real thing you know and it, it was very you could sense his frustration you know in a lot of the scenes with her but also you can sense that he was like okay here's a friend you know somebody who's you know trying to look out for me one of the other great scenes with them where she sneaks into his uh, uh his little like so he ends up uh you know and her her dad owns this this shop he ends up uh kind of working for her dad a little bit but then there's this like this this rooftop thing that he ends up going into um that she clearly her her, her grand granddad doesn't know about and so she sneaks into that 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 place on the roof and you know, you would think that this is going to oh God, like this is going to get like sexual or like weird or whatever, but it doesn't. What happens is, you know, he's basically just like, Lynn, I'm tired. I don't know what you want to talk to me about. I don't know what you're trying to ask me. I just need to get some sleep. You know, I'm tired. I, you know, I tried to get some, I try to hustle and do some shit all day. Didn't work out. I just need to get a fucking nap in, but she's like trying to talk to him and trying to like figure out, Oh, did you have that dictionary I got for you? And he's just like, dude, just like leave me alone. <laughs> like, um, and so I, I thought that was just like a brilliant fucking scene, man. Um, there's all these like scenes between them that I thought were just magical. So therefore, they they both get my uh, my my MVP vote. Uh, but uh, but let's press forward here with um, the cinematography. Uh, what do you what do you think about the cin- cinematography for the film? I like how this film is like shot and how it's graded, right? Um, there there's like this this grading to it and this color to it that make you feel like all right, you know. Um, and you can tell by the environment that he grows up in in Monterey, Mexico, right? Like, uh, as well as like the time, the era in which this is shot, like early 2000s. Um, definitely by like the technology he's using to listen to the music. It's like a super old style MP3 player, and it's kind of shot in that way. It's it has a little bit of a, a, a grainy texture to to the way this film is shot. Um, the color texture to it maybe gives you an, an, uh, some insight into like the environment that that they're in. Um, and I also like some of the camera angles that they use. Like there are a lot of like really intimate close-up shots that they use um, in like when like the uh, like when the kids are dancing or you know when when uh, Juan or Ulysses and Lynn are having like um, intimate conversations. Um, there, the camera angles that they use and the way they shoot it again very intimate um, and the grading to me. I, it, it allowed me to like again buy into the film early enjoy the film really just focusing on like the character's experience without being too distracted by like the decisions that the cinematographer made throughout the film and how how it shot yeah uh so i, I also think that the um the cinematography was beautiful in, in the film but uh more than like the grading or color or anything like that uh i thought that it was brilliant how their choices of uh for one, where to place the camera, but then two, to just let whatever's happening on screen happen, that they didn't try to do a bunch of like trick shots of like moving the camera around. They kind of just plopped the camera down and just let it, let whatever was happening in the scene happen, right? There, I just noticed so many shots, especially early on in the film, that just, you know, the, the camera's on sticks, you know, it's on, it's on the tripod and it's just showing you everything. It's just, it's got a wide view lens and it's just showing you everything that's, that's going on in that particular scene, whether they're dancing or whether it's when he first leaves, like we see a little, um, um, angle right there where it's just showing the car sort of going to, um, or, or him leaving, uh, Mexico essentially. Um, 
And I just, I love that. You know, I thought it, I thought it just lent to the story so much that you're just, you just, you're just seeing somebody's life. You're not, this isn't a movie. This is just, you're just seeing their life, you know? Um, and I think that it's, it's a brilliant artistic choice for this particular film. Uh, and it worked really well uh, for, for the film. Um, and, uh, and, and also I love, uh, the, the uses of the, the shallow depth of field at times, right. Uh, you know, in terms of when to use it, when not to use it, you know, I, th I thought all that was done, uh, really sort of brilliantly. Uh, and so, uh, so yeah, I, I absolutely love the, uh, the cinematography for the film. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was exactly what the, what, what it needed, uh, to tell this, uh, this, this particular story. Um, okay, let's, uh, let's jump to the, um, Let's jump to the uh, the soundtrack. Uh, what did you think about the uh, the music or the soundtrack overall? Um, I mean, I thought the music was very fitting too. Like, obviously, music is a huge element in this uh, film. It's like a character in and of itself. The like cumbia music that they're listening to, um, the music that they were listening to in uh, Monterey felt very fitting to both the year as well as the environment. Uh, and, and one other thing too, it's like the the sound of it as well. Mm -hmm. um, so again, this movie, like let's say, let's just say 2006, right? Um, the quality of the radio, the sound of the radio, as well as like the the little um, early version iPod that he was listening to, um, it was it's kind of like you're, you're like it's kind of like you're listening to music to like an old radio, right? Um, an, an old stereo that people may have traveled with. It's like the sound quality was not the best. Um, I really liked that element of the film to where like, again, to me, it just gave me a, uh, an understanding of the era in which they were in, like the, the year that they were in and the technology that was available, right? Um, they're listening to the music on like little stereos that they carry around, the battery may die. Um, uh, this is maybe like a, a radio station in Mexico in 2006, you know, the, the radio announcer, right? That was like a high quality studio that he was in for the most part. Um, so all of that to me, um, as well as the music that they played throughout the film, all that to me gave an indication of like where and when this is happening. Yeah. I think the use of music in this, uh, this film was, uh, it was fantastic. Uh, sometimes when I watch a movie like this and, you know, I know that music is going to be a big part in it. It's like I try to pay attention to music, but it, it never really works out. I usually just end up watching versus more more than I do like listening to the to the music. But for this, uh, you can't help but listen to the music because of this. Uh, the the and again, I apologize if I'm pronouncing it wrong, but uh, cumbia uh, cumbia uh, music uh, where it's like slow down. Um, it forces you to take note, like, what is that? Like, what's, what's going on here? Like, you, you know, and then you see how they're dancing to it and you're like, okay, like I, I, like, I feel that, you know? Um, and so, and, and I should say that the music supervisors for the film were, uh, Javier Nuno and, uh, uh, and Joe Rodriguez. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I thought the music was a, was a beautiful part of the music. And also it was, it was a beautiful part of the plot of the film, not just, literally you hearing it but in terms of uh like so for instance uh ulysses um he at one point i think is trying to get like a place in in um or like maybe just like a room in in new york and yeah. uh and i thought oh like he he's got a room and then i realized oh uh i think he spent that money on like a little speaker or something like that so that he could like 
dance, you know? Um, and, uh, and then also, and, I, and I'll get to this in, in, you know, as we get to our, the last section here, but, uh, but it, it plays a huge factor in the, the, the final scene of the movie, which I think was just crushing to, you know, to, to say the least. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just, just the use of music was, uh, it was beautiful. It was, uh, um, it, 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 it added a level of texture to the film that, um, that clearly like the film wouldn't be it if it didn't have, uh, if, if it didn't have it. So, um, which I guess you could say about all films, but for this film, it's doubly, you know. Yeah. Cause uh, the music, you know, music plays like a character in and of itself. It does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like even at one point, one of the, the women he, he meets along the way, she's listening to it and she's like, uh, I like the classics. And he's like, Oh, I've got the classic. And then she, she, he plays it for her and she hears that it's like slow down. And she's, she's like, uh, it sounds like your battery's dying. And he's like, no, it's not. It's that's how we like it. And she's like, yeah, well your battery's dying. So let me listen to it when, when, it, when it's fixed, yeah. uh, which I, which I thought was funny. And the style um, of the music that they're listening to, it's really like a chopped and screwed music, which is like big mm -hmm. in Texas. Right. Uh, and, and I think that was really interesting regionally, how like a sound of music may venture down into a different region of the country, or in this case, Mexico. Um, but like the, like the intent behind it is the same, right? So in Texas, you may have like a, a song by like Pimp C or Bun B or, um, you know, Chameleon Air, one of those like big Texas artists and they chop and screw it. They slow it down. They cut it up a little bit. Um, and then that style just ventures into this, uh, this, this music in Mexico where it's the same thing. It's like a Mexican classic song, right? slowed down chopped up screwed up a little bit uh that's exact that's pretty much what it was so i thought that was really interesting like i was i knew like as i was under understanding more about the music and learning more about the music i was eventually eventually able to realize that like oh that's just like chopped and screwed right and then you look at regionally like texas and mexico oh they're right there so it has some like regional significance to it i thought that was pretty interesting yeah um okay so for the final section is uh you know what do you what are your overall thoughts what are some extra notes that you might have for the film uh what's your what's your parting words uh about the film like overall i think that for me because i you know i don't speak spanish right so uh, while i was still able to watch this film and, and enjoy it and appreciate it i think i would have had a greater appreciation for it if I like understood the language much more than like being able to read the subtitles, right? Because, uh, you know, there's, there are so many different like nuances to language and like how something is said and how it's delivered. And like, when you understand the language, you can pick up on something that's meant to be sarcastic. You can pick up on something that's meant to be, you know, much more serious. Like the, the, the tone is lost when you're reading subtitles. Um, so, you know, again, while I enjoy the film, uh, you know, I would give it like a B minus, right? I think for me, the film might've received like an A rating or higher or better rating if I was able to like understand it. So that's not a knock on the film itself. That's just like a, something for me. Like I just didn't understand the language. Um, and I just wasn't able to appreciate it as much. But if you are someone who speaks Spanish or who is able to understand the language much better than I did, I think you can watch this film and really appreciate it. Um, there's so many things I liked about it. I thought the music was great. I thought the plot was really interesting. I thought the characters were, were really interesting. Again, this, uh, this actor, Juan Garcia, or Juan Daniel Garcia Trevino, I think he did really well. I'd like to see more from him in the future. Um, so, you know, I, I would recommend press this play, especially if you speak Spanish, press play on this film. I think you're going to enjoy it. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Regardless of what we say, you should 100% press play on a film, something you should just check out um, just for the sake of checking it out. Um, not saying that maybe it's not for everybody. I have no idea. But uh, yeah, uh, for every film that we try to press play on, please just check it out because, you know, yeah. Uh, you should do that with movies. Just watch and then come up with your judgment afterwards, no matter what any sort of reviewer says about it. But uh, my final thoughts about the film were that this is, um, it, it's such a, such a fucking fantastic film. And I understand like what you're saying about the, the language barrier, but like what I, what I try to watch when I watch a movie sometimes isn't necessarily like everything that's being said so much as, trying to connect certain dots right trying and which which is why like uh which is why i found it so disorienting when i couldn't realize where i was what was happening um you know the, the reason why i think that mattered to me so much was because it's like it's hard to orient yourself and then to understand from from just subtext what's going on you know versus just like listening to the dialogue or whatever um but uh, but the movie is so powerful because w w when you start realizing what's going on, like that, because I kept like one of my favorite things to do with movies is to figure out why the title is the title, right? So the title for this film is "I'm No Longer Here," and I kept wondering, like, what does this mean? What is this like? What does this imply? And on the surface, you could think it means like, okay, like he well, he's leaving Mexico for for uh, New York, um, and maybe he's you know it's talking about that transition, but the truth is, is I think that it's just talking about him as a person. If you look at like all of the key moments in the film, right? It's really about who he is as a person being stripped away from him one by one by one by one. Um, so uh, with the fact that he has to leave his crew behind, right? The people who he identifies with, who he loves, he calls friends, um, that gets essentially taken away from them through really kind of like no fault of his own, right? That uh, essentially he gets mixed up into something that he doesn't really like. It's not really his fault. The reason why people want him dead, the reason why, you know, his family's uh, under threat. Um, so he has to move to, to, to New York, right? And so once he gets to New York, uh, he, he tries to... Uh, he tries to display his still like the love of the music, the love of the dance from the people that he ends up staying with in, in New York, at least when he first gets there. And then they eventually basically say, no, don't bring that shit over here. And they eventually chase and beat him, you know. Um, and then that's what causes him to, to, to essentially be homeless. Um, and so uh, and so, OK, that's done. And then he makes his friend Lynn who eventually, yeah, they're, they're, they start to become friends, but eventually she kind of turns her back on him as well. After they go to the party and he leaves, uh, she he kind of falls out of favor with her as well, even though he was basically telling her, hey, I don't like this music. You know, it's not really my vibe. Um, you know, uh, you know, at every turn, it's like, oh, hey, like the thing that he feels passionate about, the thing he identifies with, even down to his hair, right? That, you know, eventually by the end of the film, he's forced to cut his own hair, you know? The, this hair that is so identifiable to him, um, it's what essentially makes him him um, in a lot of ways. He has to cut that too. Uh, and then he gets back to, uh, he, he gets deported back to Mexico. And 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 I, and I meant to read up about this before, you know, before we recorded this, but uh, there's like some sort of like, some sort of uprising that's happening in Mexico. I don't, I, I don't know exactly what it was uh, that was going on. Some, some sort of chaos that was happening. And while it's happening uh, with the violence, 
he's at the top of like, I don't know, he's at the top of somewhere and all he's doing is dancing, right? And he's still, as long as he has that music, as long as he has the ability to dance, and then what happens? The MP3 player that he's using runs out of batteries, the music's dead, and all is left is this violence that's going on. And yeah. I thought that was such a soul-crushing scene in a way to end a movie that it just, you can't help but feel like, holy shit, dude, like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I also think one part too is like if you remember that scene where he like catches up with his friend Jeremy, um, who's rapping. Like so, he's, so like his friends have kind of moved on from the music too. So now they're like into this rap mm, shit, yeah. and his friend invites him to stay, and he's just like, "Nah, you know, I'm good. You know, I'll, I'll figure it out." But like I, that scene for me, kind of now he's seen that not only did he have to go to uh, New York, and he like lost his crew. That you know the few friends i think one of his friends died too you saw yeah. that at the funeral mm-hmm. um so i think uh one of his friends died he came back and his friends have also moved on from the music and it's like their friendship is just not the same mm-hmm. uh, so i yeah. thought that was uh that that to your point is like how so much of who he used to be when he was there like that person is is essentially no longer there that person is you know gone now and now the you know, old environment has changed yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I found this this movie, you know, it, it is a little tough to like navigate through. But I think that if you stick with it and if you try to like get through the subtitles and, and do the, the kind of weird time jumps, I think you'll find something that's immensely powerful and and put you into the life of somebody who, uh, you know, whoever you might be. Uh, there's something about him that you can identify with of just trying to be yourself um, with the thing you identify with in the world basically telling you, nope can't be it you know uh and even if it's something as simple as just loving music and dancing um so so yeah we press play on the film i'm no longer here um and um and we hope you do too uh let us know in the comment section below what you think about it what you like what you didn't like yada yada uh after you've watched the movie don't just go off of our review of it uh, go watch it yourself and uh and report back uh with that being said i think uh we have come to the end of this uh magnificent show um if you uh you know been with us from the beginning we appreciate you we love you uh but display that appreciation for the show by hitting that like button hit that subscribe button hit that share button too uh, share the ship yeah. with anybody and everybody who you think uh can can benefit from it um and um uh with that being said uh what i think we would do is hit the uh, usual protocol uh, as we always do all right fade out peace the fuck out Hey, stay safe out there, ladies and gentlemen. Please.